So it's September. What do we do now? And are we at the quarter pole? I'll ask Todd Zola about that and a whole lot more next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, September the 3rd. It's show number 42 of the 2021 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great Friday full edition for you. We'll have our feature expert interview with Todd Zola from Masters Ball, Rotowire, Sirius XM, and more podcasts than Malcolm Gladwell discussing how to manage fantasy rosters in September when the baseball season actually reaches the quarter pole monthly variants, stolen base surprises, how counting stats can turn into rate stats, and his slump, pump, dump, and jumps. We'll have our Market Watch Player News reports. Harold Nichols has coverage of the National League, including pitcher injuries galore, a possible rebirth in Pittsburgh for Yoshi Tsutsugo. And Ray Murphy has news from the American League, including the COVID smackdown decimating Boston, some closers who might be worth a look, and might not, injuries to Lance Lynn and Kenta Maeda, and more American League news. We'll also have our regular commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the frequent flyer, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Seattle right-handed starter Matt Brash. And in extra innings, I'll be finally wrapping up, without a W, that long-awaited Edward Olivares theme song. It's another big Friday full edition. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Let's talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday full edition, it's part one of our feature expert interview with Todd Zola from Masters Ball, Rotowire, Sirius XM, and a lot of fantasy baseball podcasts. Todd Zola, welcome back to this podcast, Baseball HQ Radio. One, two, good. Todd Zola, welcome back to the show. Great to be back with you, PD. You know, I usually start these expert interviews by asking the expert, how's your team doing? But you're on the show so regularly that I've kind of fallen into the habit of not asking you. So I'll ask you, with a month to go, how's your team's doing? You had to ask, huh? Well, um, you know. Not, not you know, in, in the public leagues, the ones that I... Uh, wish I was doing better in. I'm not doing better in. It's uh, been a rough year in the TGFBI, Tout Wars, XFL. I'm, I'm ha- labor. I'm in the middle of the pack. Although right now there's about six of us trying to come in second behind Ian Khan by about 30 points in AL labor. Ian is just crushing everybody. Although Larry's making a bit of a move, Larry Schechter. But um, I mean, I've got a couple. My, I think I, I, I don't know if it was you or someone else who asked me. My bank account is doing pretty good in a couple of keeper leagues, but my public perception is going to take another hit uh, in the public leagues this year. I've just uh, hasn't been an, another another down year for me. You know, I mean, in Tout Wars American League, which you are the commissioner, uh, I've a month ago or so I was probably down around forty points in second to last. I'm now in the 65 range, which has been pretty good. I'm pretty pleased with my performance in that regard. 
And the problem is that as I go up, all I'm in a clump of five guys. And as I gain any ground, everybody gains exactly the same amount of ground as I do. And the, the guys at the bottom are falling farther back and the guys at the top are pulling farther ahead. And uh, there's like one, two, three, four, five of us from 64 to 67. So I could finish anywhere, I think, from fourth to ninth. And it would be just a matter of luck at this point. I mean, I'm grinding like crazy and trying to right. make changes, but I still believe, you know, absent any big changes, I think it's going to come down at least 50-50 to just how lucky I am with getting a guy who gets three homers in a game type of situation. But you're over the 60-point threshold to keep all your fab for next season. And that was the original goal. And as I started moving towards it, I thought, you know, if I made a couple of more moves, I think I could right. grind my way up to maybe third or fourth or fifth spot, which considering the awful draft I had and how slow I started, I think would count for me as a, you know, a moral victory, if not an actual victory. And that's, I mean, we talk about the moral victories and what's more, you know, money leagues versus this. I'm, I, I, to me, it is a moral victory. I don't care if anybody else cares. To finish as high as possible, there's no reward for it. But internally, I knew that, you know, you're grinding, you, you, you gain the points. It's an NL tout. I'm just trying to get over the 60 points. I don't think I'm going to get there. I'm going to probably lose her, uh, somewhere around between, I don't know, $50 and $100. I'll probably finish between uh, 55 and 50, 55 points. It's just been one of those years. Keep Guys keep getting hurt and I didn't do that well in the draft to begin with, but, um, but it's, it's a, I, I say this, I say this truthfully, but if you were to ask me, would I rather start with a hundred dollars or $900? The answer is, I mean, thousand or 900 fab. It's a, it's a thousand. But when I, when I'm short fab, I'm more aggressive with it. And it's better for me to be more aggressive with it. Cause often I will fall into the um, conservative mode and don't improve my team at the beginning. So I, years that I've done poorly, I've usually come back the next year and done okay because I'm more aggressive with my fab early. I learned that a few years ago when I actually did finish below the 60-point threshold, not by much, just by, you know, 40 or 50 or 4 or 5 points, so it's 40 or right. $50 that you get deducted. And the next year, I was with you. There's three or four guys in that particular league who always are hoarders. They hang on to their fab right to the trade yep. deadline, hoping to catch the big, the big kahuna that comes across from the National League at the Major League trade deadline. And I used to be one of those guys. And then this one occasion, I couldn't be one of those guys because I was starting at a $50 uh, handicap. So I thought, you know what? To heck with it. I'm just going to go really aggressively all year doing all kinds of little um, improvements where I see, right. where I think I see them. I spent more than I probably should have attacking minor leaguers that I thought might come up in a week or two, that, that kind of gamut. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But overall, I think I learned the lesson that I think you're right. I think we're better off going aggressively early, fixing things when they can be fixed and not crossing your fingers and not doing moves in the hopes that, you know, uh, Bryce Harper's going to jump leagues or something like that. And you're going to get this big benefit, which by the way, as we've also talked about, you're only going to get the big benefit for two months and not the five or six months that you can do it by acting early. That said, Starling Marte has been a big benefit. I mean, he, you know what? He's actually at the point where if you were trying to get two or three points in steals, he's already gotten them for you. And he may not be able to get you. Then, depending upon where you are in the standings, you maybe now won't want them to hit homers. It's just, it's just that's he's been. You know, I'm sure you've had people guess and your own analysts talk about what he's. I mean, he's almost leading 
he's he could lead him. He's going to be in the top ten of American League in steals, playing for two months. It's just silly. Well, you know, I asked Ryan Bloomfield, who's also in that Tout American League, he was the guy with the hammer. He had the most fab going into the weekend, and I happened to have him as my expert guest here on Baseball HQ Radio, and I said, who are you going to buy with your, with your fab hammer? And he said, well, the obvious choice is Starling Marte, but I literally can't get any points in stolen bases, and right. I don't think that he's going to hit enough home runs or do anything else that can move me in the category. So he took Rizzo because he said, Rizzo, that's right. a category where I could pick up three or four points in home runs, RBIs, those counting stats. And you know what? He kind of turned out to be right. Well, it's just like in a trade. You know, you, you don't trade for the better player at this point. You you know, we talk about all this all, just all the time. You trade. The, the, the currency is, is rotisserie points. It's not value in a vacuum. So fortunately, I had the hammer and AL labor, and I was I was able to get Marte, um, and got the stolen base points. Now, we t- you know a little bit of you know strategy. We can talk more about it next year. But the, one of the one of the downsides, and this is more true in labor because it's a, there's no zero dollar bits. But one of the downsides is when you have the hammer, you usually have to use it at the deadline, and you don't leave yourself with a whole lot of fab left because you're going to make, if you're going to, you know, you better make sure you get the guy, which means you have to do a dollar more or, you know, than the, than the, the person with the second most. And that usually doesn't leave you with very much. So you, you know, I get Marte, but now I have less than everybody else to, you know, for the last two months to try to, and there obviously there are injuries. So it, you got to, and, and tell it was, it's a little different. Well, first of all, because you can, you can continue to turn in players to get hurt. And supplement your fab. You can't do that in labor. So it's just another one of those, you know, no, whatever commandment number it is, it's know thy rules. And before you decide what to do with your fab, think about the repercussions. And in a league like labor, the repercussions are, sure, you may get the guy, but that might be the only guy you get of consequence all season. The rest are just nickel and dime fill-ins. Yeah, it's definitely something that's worth thinking about right from the start of the year, but at this time of year, it really comes into focus that uh, you, right. you have the opportunity to look back on your fab behavior and think, I could have done this better, which is sure. a lesson for you to take forward into future years. So let's move on and talk about uh, your Z-Files reports at rotowire.com. Uh, last week you had a report, uh, you called it about thoughts at the quarter pole, which you started off by explaining <laughs> that it isn't actually uh, the quarter pole. How did that come about? Uh, you know, uh, my, my followers know all about it. Sometimes I try to, you know, I'm not afraid of making a joke that three three out of 100 people laugh at. All right. So as you, as you know, 25% of the way into the season, you get, you know, at the quarter pole uh, pieces. Whether, I mean, I, I think it was about these professional writers. Mainstream writers, fantasy, it doesn't matter. In the middle of May, you get so-and-so at the quarter pole. And, the you know, I, I didn't know this because I the way I learned it was by doing this and and getting called out, but in horse racing, the quarter pole is at the end, not at the beginning. It's a warning that the race is almost over. So, okay, so now, the, you know, to use it right, in air quotes, quarter pole is, is with 40 games left. But that's not right either, as I found, as I have since find out, found out, that regardless of the, of the uh, length of the race, the quarter pole is a quarter mile left. If it's, I don't know. I'm not a whore. I don't want to insult those in no horse racing, you know, whether it's a mile or a mile and a half, whatever the length is, it's a quarter mile left. So then I just got silly and said, if, the, if baseball is a marathon, 
and that and that, that means each week is a mile. A quarter of a mile is about two games. So the real quarter pole is about two games left. Like I said, I got silly. Uh, yes, <laughs> and I hope you got laughs from your 3% of the people. You know, when I read it, the first thing that popped in my, into my mind was, that doesn't sound right to me, so I thought about it. And I used to be a railbird when I was younger and, and stupider. Right. And uh, I, well, including the, mostly the harness racing, but uh, thoroughbreds sometimes as well. And I knew that the quarter pole's a quarter mile from the end. Uh, two furlongs, actually, is the same as a quarter mile. And right. so I went online and I said, what's the standard length of a North American horse race? And there is no standard length, but the classic length is a mile and a quarter, which is what they run at the Kentucky Derby. A mile and a quarter, and see if follow my math here and see and and fact check me or, or uh, math check me. The classic distance a mile and a quarter that's ten furlongs. So a quarter of a mile, which is two furlongs, is four fifths of the way from the start, one fifth of the way from the end. Right, two furlongs out of ten. Sure. So. The quarter pole in a baseball season, which is 162 games, should be 80% of 162 games, four-fifths of the way through 162, yeah. which means it's around 130 games, which is exactly when you put that article out. <laughs> so it looks like you got it entirely right, right by accident. You're a lucky man. Yeah, well, I did. I, the article was a little bit late. Uh, I'm trying to, there were a couple of different things that, that, that slowed me. I was doing... Man, this this trade deadline just keeping with playing time. I think I then filled in for Tristan Cockroft on the forecaster. So for I was late on you know later on a couple. That's why the piece itself was kind of maybe not as in depth as Zola usually gets. You can kind of tell when I uh, when I my my if I have an in depth research piece. I had time that week. If it's uh, if it's a piece entitled thoughts, yeah, I didn't have much time. I just had to get something out there. But uh, but anyway, so hopefully the thoughts were still somewhat useful. But you know you. You know, as as Ron Ron Chandler teaches us, especially at first pitch, you know, you got to be informative, but you also have to be entertaining. And I'm listen, I'm no one's you know rolling over in laughter over the discussion we've had in the past couple minutes, but you know, you got to keep in mind this is supposed to be fun, and we you know we're having a little fun. Well, the article went went on to be much more substantive than <laughs> formulating these theoretical uh, angels on a pinhead kind of discussions, and I'm just the pinhead to, to raise it, actually, if nothing of an angel. But you had a lot of substantive content in the article as well. People will be glad to know. And you were discussing sources of monthly variance in performance, and you said you've been tracking these data for many seasons, and you concluded, first of all, 2018 was, and you called it, wacky. How so? Yeah, well, I got to use wacky because there's certain words that we're not allowed to use. Um, but it, you, they normally follow offense and statistics in general. Normally follow a pattern. Now, the beginning and end points are different, and a lot of that may have to do with the baseball, as we're learning in 2021 and 20 and 1918. So, in different baseball, so the the uh, the starting and end points of the curves for the different stats, home run percent, runs strikeouts might be a little different but the the shape is normally pretty much the same but 2018 it did not follow the same pattern that other years and i didn't go back all that far but i have been doing and it's not the only year that didn't follow the same pattern but it was more extreme and it's just it's important because it's it's for instance streaming pictures if you you have if you know what months the, uh, the ERA is the highest and lowest, you can plan how you manage your, your teams. And I've been, I, I usually do that. 
sometimes you get burned if it doesn't this year it's not turning out that way so it's not it's not as smart uh or turn hasn't turned out to be as smart so there there is it's more than just making pretty pictures just practical applications of having a historical idea of what usually happens strikeouts usually go up so uh you know you can plan to catch, make up ground and strikeouts and uh things to, things of that nature and just and whether and I, I mean the next level is is taking the wet weather is usually the key the key component because as it warms up and gets more humid the ball travels further and offense goes up so i don't know if 2018 was just a wacky year in terms of weather i know this year is uh there are other factors this year too but uh but anyway so it just happened to notice that that uh 2018 did not follow the normal pattern as far as home runs starting out low getting a little higher then falling back and conversely, well, runs runs kind of runs piggybacking with home runs in the area, obviously inverse of runs. The interesting thing about doing this kind of research, I think, Todd, and you put your finger right on it, is you're looking for anomalies. You're looking for patterns and things that have broken the pattern, and then you try to figure out why. And one of the contradictions you noticed in this season, considered in isolation, was strikeouts have been declining from the start of the season till now, and you'd expect home runs, therefore, to be increasing, but they're declining too. How did you square that circle? I don't know that I have, because I don't know that we're... I don't know that we have all the data yet. Uh, we, you know, we, we sort of see what happens, but yeah, intuitively, uh, you know, if down, you're hitting the ball more, you hit the ball more, you should get more home runs and you think you're hitting it harder if you're hitting the ball more. But like I said, this year, there are, there are just more factors this year that or more variables, I should say. I mean, usually the variables are somewhat constant, so they're really not variables. The variables this year were being the, uh, we're still not, you know the baseball. It's been it's different than in years past, and how it gets held up. The um, the wind resistance gets held up. The weather's just been goofy. With the I mean, even now I you know like you know like to say I hope everybody's been safe. It's been kind of wild in, in in certain parts of the country with with rain and flooding and and, and other, you know uh, things that are far more important than fantasy baseball. So you know put that out there first. But rainouts and and, and weird weather. It hasn't been the same pattern. It's temperature as well. So um, how it's going to affect things as far as trying to figure out projections, I'm not exactly sure. But it has put a damper, you know, pardon the pun, put a damper on, you know, thinking I want to avoid pitching in August because that's usually a, a high ERA month. But I probably passed on a few opportunities to stream when I, I shouldn't have in the, in the, in the, in 50, 50 hindsight, because, um, 2020 hindsight should say, right. Uh, uh, 2020 hindsight in that picture ended up doing good because August wasn't as poor as it normally is. So yeah, I can probably do some research and figure out the average temperature of, of the months. And maybe I will, we'll see how, how the off season goes and, what I feel like doing as far as research goes and what I feel will be important. Um, if it turns out that the weather's just going to be weird, you know, different just because of things out of our control, then it almost doesn't make sense to do it because we, we the weather isn't going to be what you think it is and neither are the numbers. But uh, yeah, but the other variable, you know, being the whole being COVID-19 being players, more injuries than ever being 
how our players are recovering from last year, stamina-wise, pitching especially workloads, and not to mention minor leaguers. How I think I think we're seeing that some minor leaguers' expectations were artificially overblown because they were facing competition that hadn't played last year when they maybe had played at the alternate site. So they came up even, you know, and we already like the shiny new toy. I think this year, some of the numbers that came up, we liked it even more. And we're learning that it's tough to make a, you know, to make a mark coming up. So all these different variables go into the patterns of this season and normally they're all pretty consistent and it's weather this year it's weather and all this other stuff. And another variable that you didn't mention, but has obviously, I think played a role is the sticky stuff and they were using it at yes. the start of the yes. year and they at one point were told they can't use it anymore. And then they started enforcing, not using it anymore. And that right in the middle of a season, oddly enough, should have had some kind of impact on how these numbers turn out and we would have thought right away that there'd be less strikeouts because there's less movement on the pitches if if everything that they say about spin is correct and conversely home runs and and offense should have gone up because it's easier to hit a ball that's not breaking you know 14 inches and is only breaking six or whatever the case might be but again it didn't happen that way but what ha what impact did the sticky stuff and the ban of sticky stuff have on the numbers as you looked at them Right. Well, now we not as much as we like you said, not as much as we expected. There, there may be an explanation for that, which I will, which I will, um, you know, I will, I will pose in a minute. But you know, I think the important thing that you know, the, the important note is that uh, strikeouts they usually go up in July and they continue to go down, which is to be expected. Well, it went down this year. So the strikeouts went down, but the power, as we as we kind of talked about, did not go up. It actually started to go down. Now, so a possible explanation, and I, you know, I don't know that this is true. There are probably, you know, there are people smarter than I that are more into it that could corroborate it or tell me why it's wrong. But I'm going to use the example of why a forcing fastball is effective with more spin because it doesn't drop as much. The the players are trained. They're just assimilated to expecting a certain drop on the ball. And the reason why less drop works on the fastball, more spin, less drop, uh, it, the spin actually kind of works counter to gravity. It forms a buffer of air and prevents it from dropping as much. The brain, it thinks it's going to drop this much, but it doesn't drop that much and you swing under the ball. So it may be that players players have been using the sticky stuff for so long the, the the brain the hitters heads are just the muscle memory etc it just expects the ball to move a certain amount it, you know the, the average pitcher throws the average curveball and it moves this amount and it's an you know we know where it's going to land and we hit it but now if it even though it's not moving as much it's not moving where the batter expects it to so it may take a little while for these hitters to catch up to or develop a new norm of of expectation for lower spin pitches. It may it may be that the 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 poor the pitch is helping because the batter is expecting it to drop and curve a little more and it's not, so he's missing it. And you know how how long it takes to readjust, I don't know. 
and maybe they, they readjust, but maybe next year they come up with a, a happy medium as far as what one can use to, uh, to increase the grip and it all goes to waste. I don't know. So that's, that's my theory, if you will, a numbers guy with a, a scientific theory that the ball not moving as much is actually helping them because they're expecting it to move more. I have to confess that's pretty much what I thought might be the case as well. The uh, hitters spend an awful lot of time trying to figure out what the ball movement is going to be, and then all of a sudden there's a quite a rapid and unexplained change in the pattern of it, and it takes a while to recover from that, and uh, I think maybe it wasn't as impactful as we might have expected as a result of that. You said in the uh, article, Todd, that with playing time limits, in leagues that have playing time limits, counting stats essentially turn into ratios. What did you mean by that, and how do we uh, use it to most optimally use our uh, fantasy baseball resources in the stretch? Right now, keeping in mind, you know, that I don't know how many leagues have limits. I play an Otno, which has limits, and I know the, the, the you know ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, a lot of those have limits. I think our audience that, that might be, I think a, a good cross-section of this audience may not play in leagues like that, so maybe it is important if they do move into Otno or some other league. And you got to figure the better players are going to maximize innings or games or at-bats. They're just going to, as you mentioned before, grind and they're going to reach the the highest. They're going to reach the maximum. So if you and I each reach the maximum number of innings, which of us is going to have more strikeouts? It's going to be the one with the higher K per nine. So even though the stat is strikeouts, because we're limited in the number of innings, whichever of us has the higher K per nine is going to be ahead of the other in the category. So that's in the, you can that's just the same across the board, whether it's you know, whether it's games or whether it's innings pitched or it's usually games for batters that it's, it, it turns in, in right. Side. And what it just generally means is, and I'm learning, this kind of came from playing Otno, which is the game on fan graphs, um, which has these limits as several different forms, but I kind of knew this, but this, I mean, the first year I'm really being diligent about making the changes to get to this maximum you don't have a lot of wiggle room if you're going to get to the maximum you pretty much need to make moves every day and i learned though you can't just willy-nilly make them you 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 can't just start uh, a pitcher because he's because he's got that little green dot on the schedule meaning he's starting if he's got a poor opponent or if he's not a strikeout pitcher well you don't even want him on your roster you have you know the first step is is in any of this first step is grinding your way to the maximum playing time the second step is learning to win. You need to be efficient within that playing time, and I, that's all. That's all. That's really all it means is, um, you, you know, and you need to start from the beginning. I mean, I use the example. You know, Mark Burley, you know, dating dating myself a little bit here, but Kyle Hendricks, maybe more more recently, he's great in five by five if you want to protect your ratios. But if you happen to be in a league with an innings limit, he's a detriment in strikeout. Because even you know you have to then balance right. You have to make it make it a balance between the ratios and the strikeouts because his K nine, it just isn't as high as some other pitchers. 
I was thinking about it as well, and uh, you mentioned the Mark Burley and, and Kyle Hendricks examples. I thought of the Rick Porcello example from a yep. few years ago. You know, not that great a canine, but just a million innings, and it wouldn't work in a league like the ones that you're talking about. But if you are in a league that doesn't have limits, I think there's a fairly decent chance that given most teams are set up relatively similarly, that when by the time we get to this stage of the season, pretty much everybody's going to be in a relatively narrow window of how many innings they have, which means right, right away it's it came to me that this is also applicable in leagues without limits, as long as ever, there's a substantial tranche of, of teams in your league who are all around the same number of innings. Yeah, it, yes. Normally, no, yes, absolutely, especially um, if... Yeah, I mean, not especially with anything. That's normally the case. There is a little bit more leeway because you are able, you are able to balance the ratio with the strikeouts, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, in general, which is which is why a pitcher like Kyle Hendricks is always, you know, air quote a value compared to whatever little black box spits out his 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 bid price because you know the that incorporate you know incorporates mathematically whether method you want to use comes up with the, 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 the expected earnings, but it intuitively or just the way people like to draft, I want my strikeouts. He always goes, well, so now it's a matter of it's, you know, a guy like Hendricks or anybody that does, it's just not very dominant. What does he give you relative to what it costs? And then, you know, it, it, you can still, he can still be a useful pitcher for you. You just, when you, you just have a staff of high strikeout play. You know, the old combo, no, used to be Robbie Ray and Kyle Hendricks. Well, now Robbie Ray is, he's in competition for the Cy Young Award because he's not walking anybody. But anyway, so another high strikeout, another high strikeout player and, um, and, and, and someone who isn't as dominant, uh, it can work even if you have an innings limit or with no innings limit. And of course, taking the, situation to the extreme you have people who do roster planning by saying i don't mind taking a high strikeout high whip type of ball player even a high strikeout high era and whip ball player because i can offset it with a couple of you know late relievers lima guys we used to call them and those guys who have tremendous ratios but it starts to become a less than zero sum game because by taking those guys, you really are hamstringing your ability to get the strikeout you're going to need to be competitive. And I don't know that you can balance um, until we get another Randy Johnson, who's going to fire 340 strikeouts in a season. But if you're down around 240, then you really, it's very difficult to balance the high strikeout, high decimals guy with a couple of those uh, Lima type relievers because you're just the offset in strikeouts more than compensates for the uh, gains in ratios, I think. Yeah. And you're opening yourself up to one, even if it's a Kyle Hendricks type, not having a good year, you know, especially relievers that might not have the year they expected. It just might be a couple of three or four run outings and their ERA is just through the roof and they don't do the job. So, you know, it's one of those, and I, I'm guilty. And I talk about not having a, a couple of good years, I think this is one of my faults is that I think of these things and I, you need to find an edge nowadays. Everybody's so good. You know, so I, you know, okay, it's all about roster build. So if I, if I, if I do in this direction, I can counter it in this direction. And by doing this, I'm getting both of those pieces cheaper because of the, whatever the, 
the fault is, but if you put them together, it's not a fault. But if one of those two aspects doesn't do what it's supposed to, you're in trouble. You can't make up for it. So, you know, kind of maybe maybe it's time just to go back to Ocam's razor, right? Just uh, pick the best players and see what happens. So this what you know, I think we all go through, you know, the retrospective trying to figure out what we did right, what we did wrong. And that's just what I'm wondering now is have I have am I trying too hard to be the smartest guy in the room instead of just, you know, being the smart guy and doing the right things. You also took a look at stolen bases since the All-Star break, and you found a surprising outcome in the top five teams. How'd that work? Yeah, you know what? I meant to, meant to review this to see if it's changed. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that it has, or not, not significantly. Yeah, the top five teams were all in the American League. And that's, you know, especially now with the DH back, one would think that the, there'd be more running in the NL, like, like, the, old, like the olden days. But no, the uh, the Royals, the Athletics, talked about Sterling Marte, Indians, Yankees, and Angels were all ahead of the first NL team. Now this was, like you said, right? You know, like you said, it was at the quarter pole, twenty uh, percent of the season left, um, and Marlins were the next up in the, or the top team in the National League. So it's I don't know. To me, it was more of a I don't know what we can learn from it, other than it was it was interesting and. And it was a jumping off point to mention a couple of guys that are stealing, that were stealing a ton of bases to help out in the category. But it's certainly, you know, in mixed leagues, it certainly does say that if you are looking for steals, don't category ignore American League teams. And the Royals, of course, just got, got another guy back, some kid named Mondesi that has already hit the ground running and hitting. Gosh, he's, uh, he doesn't miss a beat, that guy, does he? He doesn't. Uh, I think San Diego might have snuck up into the top five in the, since the story came out, or maybe Miami too. But the the point is that there are opportunities here if the stolen base category in your league is somewhere where you think you can make some hay. Then you have to start looking at uh, Gerard Dyson just signed with Toronto, for instance, and maybe uh, not going to play that much. But if he pinch pinch runs and you're two stolen bases away from three points or something like that, it might be a guy that you have to look at. And your research led you to identify a couple of guys who might be very valuable for a stretch run, not just because of steals. Who are they? Yeah, well, I mean, at the, at the time, Nicky Lopez was still sort of unknown. Now it's, you know, now it's he's everybody's darling, especially since he moved up to the two-hole. But I think one of the we, I think we've talked about this too, in in, in sort of a the big picture. Not only is Starling Marte running, but it's kind of rejuvenating, rejuvenating, but energizing. Energizing is the better word. The whole and I know Oakland's a bit of a dive, but it kind of energizes the whole team, whether it's double steals or or whatever it might be. But Marcana has been running. Uh, Josh Harrison coming over from the talk about if you didn't have the hammer. But ended, you know, you you got Harrison as your, uh, you know, consolation prize. He's been pretty darn good for Oakland. He's running. Um, Miles Straw is isn't running as much as maybe we thought, but he's still someone you want to check out on the stretch. Labor Torres, I know he's he's not quite back yet. He's not hitting for the power, and I'm sure he's not doing it purposely to help out fantasy. But he's been running a, a bit more. So uh, in, in te- teams that are running. And if they're successful, it, it, you know, if they have a big base dealer, 
there's often others that will dovetail. Bradley Zimmer, for instance, is running, you know, finally getting some uh, consistent playing time and is doing a little bit of running. And uh, David Fletcher was the one that caught me off guard. I mean, to me, I didn't realize he ran as much as he's been running, but it's not just Otani who is just, oh, man, stealing home the other night. Uh, I know it was on a first and third, but even so, what can't that gentleman do? And finally, Todd, speaking of the stretch run, you've said for a long time that fantasy managers who think that the ratios are too locked in to move in are in incorrect in that assumption that they can always make up ground in the ratio categories, maybe even better than in the counting stats. Is that still true as we get past the quarter pole and well into September? Yeah, that's true at my quarter pole with two games left. Yeah, and it, it just it's it's individual to the standing. Every league is different where the clusters are and you know where you are relative to that cluster. Um, I mentioned the you know the 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 keeper leagues I'm doing well in the categories that I'm battling are our ratios. And it's, you know, you, you lose a couple of points on a Tuesday and it's, I don't know, keep, keep it calm. You've got, you've got three guys going the next two days and this guy's got nothing. So you may lose more points, but you can also catch them up pretty quickly. So, and I, you know, I think everybody can tell a, a story about, you know, losing, not everybody on the, on the 163rd game, but I, at the last day of the season, I know people that have, especially NFBC stories that, you know, can talk about winning or losing money based upon how their pitcher did on that extra game. And I don't know, we could be trending towards a uh, 163rd game in both leagues this year. Well, Todd, this has been very interesting so far. We'll take a quick break for our National League and American League news with Nick and Ray, and then we'll finish our discussion. We'll talk a little bit more about another Z-Files article looking at September and the whole games played issue. How does that sound? Sounds like a plan to me, Patrick. Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, Rotowire, and ESPN, broadcasts on Sirius XM, and appears on podcasts all over the place. He'll be back a little later in the show. Coming up, we have our Market Watch Player News reports. Nick has the National League News. Ray has the American League next on Baseball HQ Radio. Right now, though, it's time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In playing time tomorrow, Matt Dodge forecasts the rosters of the five American League Central teams, including the fraying rotation in Chicago, the Cleveland outfield situation, and surprisingly solid production from the corner infield slots in Detroit. In Facts and Flukes Performance Validation, analyst Mike Werner looks at five American leaguers, including the disappointing Lourdes Gurriel, the growing Andrew Vaughn, and the lost season of Andrelton Simmons. In the Market Pulse column, HQ analyst Brad Coleman looks for buying opportunities in fantasy baseball markets like Daniel Lynch in Kansas City, Edward Cabrera in Miami, and Eric Haas in Detroit. And those are just three articles among dozens. A small sampling of all the great content you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time. There's player performance validation in facts and flukes, news updates in playing time today, roster forecasting in playing time tomorrow. We have buyer's guides for hitters, starting pitchers, and relievers fantasy market analysis in the market pulse as i mentioned injury analysis in matt cedarholm's column the big hurt and groundbreaking fantasy baseball research 
As well, we have tools like the player projections updated every day, depth charts, daily dashboards, pitcher matchup planners, bullpen indicators, batter consistency reports, complete pitcher PQS logs, potential surgers and faders, and other leading indicators for hitters and pitchers. Add it all up. There's expert content plus tools you can use to improve your teams and win your leagues. And they're why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our Market Watch Player News Reports. Ray Murphy is on deck with the American League Report. And leading off, it's our National League news and our old friend, Baseball HQ Pitcher Matchups Analyst, Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to the show. Let's start in Colorado, where the right-hander John Gray was placed on the 10-day IL. He has a right forearm tightness. He went on the IL on Wednesday. Jock Thompson covers the story for playing time today. Whither John Gray? Gray has tossed 126 credible innings, 413. ERA, but on a team that's not going anywhere, this could end his season. We'll be conservative right now with our playing time cut for him. Kiki Gonzalez, uh, 6.08 ERA through 95 innings, pitches a swingman. We'll take this place in the rotation for now. The worry here, of course, is that forearm tightness is often a precursor to elbow problems and potentially Tommy John surgery. So this is especially ominous for fantasy managers with John Gray on their keeper or their dynasty teams. It does look that way, and it's uh, certainly a bit of a shame. I was expecting John Gray, Nick, uh, might be on the move at the trading deadline. A lot of people were because the Rockies appeared to be blowing things up, but they didn't trade John Gray, and they didn't trade Trevor Story. And now uh, John Gray coming into, I believe, into his free agent uh, term uh, could be in trouble. Yeah, very definitely could. I mean, this does not sound good uh, in terms of his future. Uh, you know, it's the kind of thing with that kind of an injury, forearm tightness and a possible injury that's, that's worse than that. Uh, he's going to have to have a lot of a lot of physicals before someone's going to sign him for much of a contract. In the meantime, what, what might be worth looking at if you do play in dynasty or, or keeper formats and you're looking at maybe holding on to John Gray for next year, you're going to have to keep an eye peeled to, to find out what the news is because depending on when your keeper list is due, and typically it's not till right before the season, you know, March sometime by which we time we should have some uh, better information. But if you have uh, one of those league formats where you have to turn in your keeper list shortly after the season, uh, this is a really tough call to make. And I think I might be inclined, given his age, given his home park, notwithstanding the possibility of free agency, and given this injury, I might be inclined, unless I had John Gray at a very, very favorable salary, to just cut bait and see about doing something else next season. Yeah, I think I would be, be as well. I mean, there are a lot of pitchers out there uh, John Gray is, is a solid pitcher, but certainly not not necessarily an ace at this point. And so, uh, you know, it just depends on what your roster looks like. But I, I would certainly be inclined to cut John Gray off a keeper league roster, I think, at the moment, unless there's some really good news coming out very soon. Speaking of elbow problems, Atlanta had to put right-hander Chris Martin on the 10-day IL on Thursday of this week. He has what they call elbow inflammation, which is a step up from John Gray's forearm tightness. Now you actually do have some compromise in the elbow. Again, not good news at all. The team recalled left-hander Sean Newcomb from AAA. Phil Hurts on the story for playing time today. Uh, Chris Martin had been a pretty useful reliever, though not of late. Yeah, right. He, he had been one of Atlanta's prime setup pitchers, although results over the last 
31 days, 5.59 ERA, 4.40 XERA, but 129 BPV left a little bit to be desired. Uh, not, known, not known how much time he may miss, but elbow injuries, as we said, at this point in the season, often mean missing the rest of the season. Uh, Newcomb was discussed a little over a month ago when he was sent to the minors. At that time, we noted he might return, but would likely not be someone that fantasy owners would want to roster, given the 4.97x ERA and 27 BPV that he compiled with Atlanta earlier in 2021. That note remains the case. Yeah, I, I don't like the look of either of these guys, to be frank. Uh, uh, as you said, Chris Martin had the uh, poor results over the last month. And I think, of course, the obvious analysis is he was hurt and something was bothering him in his elbow. And, and when, uh, what do they say? It's shoulder costs you velocity, elbow costs you control. And he's clearly had some trouble related to this injury. So uh, you might be able to give him a mulligan if he comes through on the other side of this IL stint with uh, maybe, a, you know, some pharmaceutical intervention and some rest and icing and stuff like that. But otherwise, I think Chris Martin, again, for next year, is also a bit of a long shot. Yeah, I think so as well. I said someone that I think you would probably not want to take a very long look at. I mean, at this point in the season, I you know, my feeling about it is at this point in the season, there are a lot of pitchers out there. So if I'm looking to find, to pick up someone, it's not going to be someone who's got a 5.59 ERA or a 4.97 XERA or anything of that nature. I'm looking for guys under two at this point in the season. And they're there. They're on the waiver wire. But here's the question. The 5.59 ERA is only over the last 31 days. So, Nick, when you're looking at making these moves, how much weight do you put on a relatively short sample, especially for a reliever? Last 31 days, what are you talking about? You know, maybe 15 innings, 10, 14 innings, something like that, versus the entire bulk of work over the whole season and versus the bulk of work over the last three seasons. How risky is it for us to say, I'm only going to look at these last 31 days, you know, 15 games or whatever, an inning of time, and make my decision based on that? I understand that that can be useful information, but how do you balance that? Well, it is hard to balance. And that, a 5.59 ERA for a reliever uh, over a short term, over a month, could be one, one bad appearance. That could cause that ERA. The guy could go lights out for most of the appearances of the month, but if they're only in any in any niche, all he needs is one inning, which he gives up a grand slam home run, and the ERA is way up there. So it's certainly worth looking at how it how that ERA got there and looking at whether there's a, a gradual progression, uh, a series of of, uh, of games in which he's being scored upon, or whether that's one bad outing, uh, and you just say, oh, well, that's going to happen, and, and you go on. Everything else has been lights out. That said, the body of work for the season, uh, 417 ERA, uh, 131-ish sort of whip, is not that great to begin with. So if you're looking at it, it's, uh, it might be one of those situations, Nick, where you take a guy who's not having a good year overall but has had a pretty good last 31 days as something that's worth taking a chance on. I think the reverse might be less true. A guy with a good overall season but bad recent 31 days might be somebody to be cautious about. Well, that's possible too, as well. Yes, very definitely. I guess my, my point would be there are there are good relievers out there still on the waiver wire at this point in the season. So take a long look if you're looking to replace somebody. 
From the elbow injuries to the shoulder injuries, Milwaukee put left-hander Brett Anderson on the 10-day IL on Thursday with a shoulder contusion that I think could be good news. Uh, in a corresponding move, they recalled Alec Bettinger from AAA. Tom Kephart on the story for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. Nick, uh, what's going on with this situation? Well, with the four with the four plus ERA and, and XERA, Anderson has been a kind of a weak link in the Milwaukee rotation most of the season. Milwaukee has frequently used six starters, although with right-hander Freddie Peralta also sidelined with shoulder inflammation, Milwaukee has been reduced to five starters. Uh, they're fortunate that Anderson's injury comes just as Peralta is set to return. Peralta has translated the excellent skills he previously showed in relief and as a swingman to the starting rotation, 2.45 ERA, a sub-one whip, a 12.2 strikeouts per nine. Peralta's control remains subpar, just under four walks per nine, and he continues to be a fly ball pitcher in a home park where that's not ideal. Uh, while he's been fortunate with home runs per nine and home runs per fly in 2021, that lofty fly ball percentage is cautionary as we head into this last month. Interesting situation with Freddie Peralta. Anyways, I've been hearing a lot of suspicion, shall we say, on the part of touts and podcasters here and there in the fantasy baseball industry. And they thought that Milwaukee might be soft-pedaling Freddie Peralta anyway because he had made such a big innings jump from the past years this year, and they do and envision themselves, I think, going deep into the playoffs, and they might be telling Freddie Peralta, you know, we're going to cut down on your innings, maybe have you skip a start or two down the stretch, especially coming off some kind of shoulder problem. I don't think that you can count on Freddie Peralta, and I have him on a roster, and I would dearly love to count on Freddie Peralta going right back into the rotation, going right back to, to throwing, you know, six innings to start. I just don't think that's going to happen because I think they have bigger plans for Freddie Peralta in the playoff run this year. Yeah, I think you've got to, you have to consider that at this point. I mean, uh, as, as teams get a good enough lead and are fairly assured of a playoff spot, uh, they're going to soft pedal starters who they, whom they need for the playoffs. And so they're not going to tax those arms uh, through the month of September if they don't have to. In San Francisco, the Giants put infielder Wilmer Flores having a pretty good year. He goes to the 10-day IL on Thursday, a hamstring strain, and they recalled infielder Mauricio Dubon from AAA. Jock Thompson on the story for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. What's the upshot here for the staggering Giants? Not much of a playing time change for Flores, who was uh, struggling in August. Even with, with He'd gotten more playing time following Yvonne Lagoria's latest IL stint. Uh, and then was struggling with that with that extra playing time. Chris Bryant moved from the outfield to take over most of the third base at bats while those two are out, making the outfield kind of tough to call in, uh, in San Francisco. Dubon was in center field on Thursday, zero for three. Has a lot of names ahead of him before he ever moved beyond a bench roll. Darren Ruff, 1.016 OPS to 108 second half at bats. is beginning to win some at bats against right-handers as well as against lefties, and that's something to keep track of. You know, it's one of the, it's one of those difficult situations. Darren Ruff, I think, is someone definitely to look at. If, if he's been ignored in your league because he plays primarily against left-handers, he could find some additional bats, and he has been hitting extremely well, especially if you're in an OBP league. 
Boy, there's a lot of guys in that outfield list, you know. Uh, you've got uh, Bryant at 60%. Uh, I guess that's assuming that Flores does come back and Longoria comes back and plays a little bit of third. So there's uh, Bryant in the outfield, Dickerson in the outfield. We've got Ruff at 35% currently. Mike Yastrzemski, who's really miscast in center field these days, at 70%. Then you've got a few uh, hangers-on like Lamont Wade and Austin Slater, Stephen Duggar. There's a million guys out here, and uh, I don't know... I don't know if you remember the study from some years ago, Nick, a marketing firm looked at uh, how many choices shoppers had for jam in their local supermarket and how that affected the overall sale of jam. And the theory was the more jams choices you have, the more jam you're going to sell. And it turned out that was exactly wrong, that people got overwhelmed with the choice and just walked away from the jam section without buying any jam because they were frustrated, (laughs) you know. There's 10 kinds of strawberry jam. I, I just want two kinds to choose from, you know, not not 20. And here you've got eight or nine guys um, scrambling around for outfield playing time in San Francisco. From a fantasy point of view, makes it really hard to be willing to commit to any three of them. Yeah, that's true. It does. It makes it very, very difficult uh, with all those moving parts. And and as someone, I've got rough on the roster, and as I, I keep looking at every day to see whether he's playing and where he's playing. And... And he moves up and down the lineup as well, everywhere from hitting second to cleanup to sixth. Uh, you know, I can't quite figure out what's going on from a from a management standpoint, or in terms of uh, all right. So, is he going to be in the lineup today? And if so, where is he going to be hitting? Uh, so, it's one of those. There's a lot of options. A lot of options indeed, not always a good thing. Uh, Colorado Rockies activated outfielder Rimal Tapia from the 10-day aisle on Monday. He had a toe injury he was dealing with that kept him out. The team designated infielder Taylor Motter for assignment. Uh, Jock Thompson again for playing time today. What's the significance here? Because Tapia can run, but can you run with a toe injury? I think that's a question. Well, that's a good question. And Tapia, 288 batting average, 19 stolen bases, 5 home runs, over 399 at-bats. Made two consecutive starts since returning. Uh, likely return to most of the playing time, primarily the expense of Sam Hayard and Garrett Hampson. But uh, the Rockies are going nowhere, obviously, and, and down the stretch they may rotate their outfield a lot, trying to see if either Hilliard or uh, Hampson can catch fire uh, before they head into next season and decide what they're going to do with those guys. Not quite as robust as the choices in San Francisco, but there's six guys here uh, getting some playing time in the outfield, including Charlie Blackman, who's getting a little long in the tooth. I wonder if the team might be a little more willing to look at younger guys like Jonathan Daza, Sam Hilliard, and Garrett Hampson, and maybe cut back on Blackman's playing time, because as you said, they're going nowhere, although they still are trying to sell tickets, I guess, and maybe Charlie Blackman's a way to do that. And then there's Connor Joe, not really sure that he's an answer in the long term. It's a very messy situation in that Colorado outfield as well. Uh, there, It is indeed. It's an extremely messy situation. So uh, one of those where, where Tapia may be one of the best bets that you have in that outfield for someone who's going to play at least uh, 75% of the time. Yoshi Tsutsugo came over to Major League Baseball from Japan in 2020, and he's really struggled to find himself a, a lasting home in the major leagues. He got designated for assignment by the Rays earlier this year, then the Dodgers picked him up, they designated him for assignment. These are teams with really solid rosters and obviously less opportunity for players to be learning and adjusting on the job. Now he's in Pittsburgh and things have gone a little better, we have to say. Dan Marcus covers the National League Central for playing time tomorrow. Is Pittsburgh the final stop for the wandering Yoshi Tsutsugo? Well, you know, since joining the Pirates on August 16th, Tsutsugo is at 286, 333, 857, a 
across 39 plate appearances. And despite that success, he's earned a significant amount of playing time as a pinch hitter, starting only, uh, I think, eight of the 13 games since joining the club. Uh, that could change down the stretch. Brian Hayes exited Sunday's contest with a bruised right hand. Although his left wrist was the cause of his two-month absence earlier in the season, the Pirates aren't likely to rush him back into the lineup. If Hayes were to miss extended time with the injury, there'll be a natural spot in the lineup for him to go. Uh, and so we'll have to wait and see what, what that means. Even if the outfield, uh, the information emerges that Hayes' injury is minor, Sutugo should get a look in the outfield. Gregory Polanco is officially off the 40-man roster. Uh, and uh, Dan Dan has uh, advocated for a long time that the Pirates should remove Ben Gamble from everyday playing time on several different occasions. Uh, the team has rotated Michael Chavis and Anthony Alford into the outfield. But there's not a lot standing in Sutugo's way of playing time for the final month of the season. Uh, Cole Tucker reportedly will also mix in the outfield playing for playing time, although Sutsugo has shown more promise in his brief time with the team than Tucker has across the last few seasons. So it could get a long look in the Pittsburgh outfield. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what he's able to do with it because he has certainly struggled. Uh, came over and hit, hit, hit five home runs very quickly, uh, but then the question becomes, uh, is he going to continue doing that? You know, what exactly is going to go on? Uh, got to look at Sutsugo and see You've got that wonderful background in Japan and simply hasn't been able to put it together uh, on this side of the water. Tsutsugo, since he got to Pittsburgh, has batted fourth uh, three times, batted fifth once, and then uh, he's been batting sixth of late. And Cabrian Hayes has not played since that injury on Sunday, but the Pirates have only played a couple of games. They had days off Monday and Thursday, so a little early to call Cabrian Hayes done for the year. But this is a situation, Nick, where Pittsburgh, again, not really a team with a lot to play for down the stretch. They know what they have in Cabrian Hayes. This kid can really play. I suspect that even if Hayes' injury turns out to be relatively minor, Pittsburgh might just look at it and go, you know what? I think we're just going to let this guy completely rest. He's had this wrist trouble. It's been sort of aggravating and chronic for quite a little while now. Let's just sit him down for the rest of the year. And if that's the case, then in the shuffle of things, it could be uh, a situation where what we do is we end up with uh, Tsutsugo having even more playing time than Dan Marcus might even believe. That's, that's, not, that's indeed possible, just to see what they've got here. Uh, and and Tsutsugo has been hot and cold. Came over and had very, very well the first week with the team. I think a 385 batting average. Uh, but then 167 over the past week. So you know, this is a guy who's blowing hot and cold at the moment, and they, they need to find a way to get him to be more consistent. But even with that 167 batting average, 290 XBA, so that's not so bad. So it'll be interesting to see what, in fact, they end up doing with him over this next uh, uh, the next few weeks. And, and the question is, as a fantasy owner, is he worth taking a chance on? Interestingly, since he came over to Pittsburgh, five home runs in those 39 plate appearances, which if you prorate to 600 is like a, a 75 home run season, uh, move over Barry Bonds. And I don't think that's what anybody's expecting from Tsutsugo, that's for sure. But uh, five home runs and four of them against St. Louis, oddly enough, including a, a big walk-off uh, just the other night. So uh, even if he's not knocking the strings off the ball on a batting average sense, uh, he hasn't been all season. But... Pittsburgh could use somebody out there doing some heroic stuff. 
you know, they they must be struggling by now to get people interested in the games. And so you put a guy out there who's whacking a home run every other game and maybe a few more people tune in and maybe some people come out and buy tickets for the game. And, and finally, Nick, the Washington Nationals optioned outfielder Victor Robles. This struck me as a bit of a surprise. They sent him to the minor leagues on Tuesday and recalled an outfielder, Andrew Stevenson. Phil Hertz covered the story for playing time today. Robles was batting just over 200 with two home runs and eight stolen bases in 315 at-bats, but six caught stealing. What happens next for a guy who used to be thought of in the same breath as Juan Soto? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is the big news here is the demotion of Robles. In 2018, as you said, was considered to be Washington's top prospect, even ahead of Juan Soto. And uh, Robles is arbitration eligible this coming offseason. That's leading to speculation that he won't be back with Washington in 2022. But Nats manager Davey Martinez says the team remains committed to him long term. Stevenson was recalled, but it appears a recently acquired Lane Thomas will get the bulk of the playing time center field with Robles exiled to Rochester. Thomas is 14 for 46 since joining the team, and that might be a worthwhile addition in deep fantasy league. You know, I've told this story before here at Baseball HQ Radio, but a few years ago, several years ago now, at First Pitch Arizona, one of the players we got to see in a game was Victor Robles. And I remember thinking, oh, this would be interesting because even at the time he was being touted as a very promising speed plus power guy. And uh, the game we went to, he popped up and... Uh, he ran, didn't even run. He jogged about halfway to first and then peeled off, went to the dugout. And I thought to myself, this is not a good sign for a guy who wants to be a major leaguer. He's playing in this league in front of all the 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 people in the organization who are making decisions. And this is how you approach a ball game. Now he was very young at the time. And of course, he's probably smartened up over, over the uh, intervening period, but it always stuck with me, you know, and I don't know if that's unfair to him or unfair to anybody who's in that position, but gosh, those kind of memories kind of die hard. And I've never drafted Victor Robles. Yeah. yeah those, those kind of memories are, are certainly important. And, and if you can find a way to get a grasp on the guys, a guy's willingness to play, willingness to work hard, uh, that'll tell you a lot. I mean, I remember, remember when Alex Bregman was playing at LSU, the coach would say, Frequently, he'd be driving by the stadium going home at midnight to see the lights on. And, of course, would stop to see, why are the lights on in my stadium at midnight? And Alex Bregman was out there taking batting practice, just hitting balls and, and doing what he could to make adjustments. Those are the kind of guys that are going to make it really well in the big leagues, not the guys who just jog down the first baseline. So uh, I, I think that uh, it's important. I agree. It is important. And I'm glad you run everything out, Nick. <laughs> I do appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and covers the National League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Over we go to the American League and BaseballHQ.com co-GM and columnist Ray Murphy. Ray, welcome back. Glad to be here, Patrick. Happy September. Yeah, a month to go in the uh, baseball regular season and, of course, the fantasy season as well. And I imagine in head-to-head leagues we might be heading into some playoffs. Yeah, I think we are. I've seen a lot of chatter about that on Twitter, either... Maybe even first rounds of playoffs started this week or last week of regular seasons this week and some other ones rolling over next weekend. Uh, I know I've got half of my weekend blocked because I have to get ready for the uh, score sheet playoffs and set my lineups there, which is always a Labor Day ritual. So, uh, yeah, we're moving into uh, the home stretch here. Well, we'll move into the home stretch on the injury front uh, starting in Boston. Boy, oh boy, what a COVID breakout 
they're having up in your neck of the woods. Uh, I saw that Martin Perez, Matt Barnes were put on the undisclosed injured list, which usually means COVID. Xander Bogarts went on there. Yaira Munoz went on there. Uh, boy, what's going on in Boston, Ray? Yeah, it's a super spreader event of sorts, it seems. The uh, the, the team is decimated at the worst time when they're playing uh, two, two out of three series against the Rays and trying to hang into the race and uh, literally guys dropping every day. They lost the closer. They lost, I think, the entire uh, middle infield with uh, Bogarts, Christian Arroyo, Kike Hernandez, uh, some guy that I never heard of started at second base last night, and I like to think I know everybody, everybody in the Red Sox organization. And Jay Lopez popped up at the box score, and I was like, "Who the heck is that?" This is what we're reduced to. It's pretty rough. Uh, Barnes had already lost the closers role, apparently, but uh, this seems to really put the uh, nail in his coffin. It does. I, you're right. He lost the closer role already, and I haven't tracked it closely enough to know whether he's one of the symptomatic ones or not but yeah he needed a vacation anyway so if there's if there's a silver lining for anybody here it might be barnes if he gets to work on the side and figure out whatever the heck had gone off the rails in the last couple of weeks but uh overall the situation's pretty bleak there you know there have been a lot of questions about how this happened and you know i don't want a rumor monger but there was some reports that it happened uh, when they were playing texas and they were all uh visiting with former teammate brock holt that that became pro positive shortly thereafter so that he may be patient zero we're not sure well in this pandemic probably more like patient seven million three hundred twenty seven and the rest of them being three twenty eight three twenty nine and so forth meanwhile of course boston still needs somebody to close games and i'm going to guess from chris olson's analysis and playing time today that the guy who steps to the front of the line not really a surprise adam ottavino yeah i think that's right you and i were going back and forth about this last week and I thought it was going to be out of Vito, and then, you know, there were some reports from the beat writers that they were going to go in different directions, and yet it's turned out to be out of Vito, and I think that's, I'm not saying I was prescient about that, I think that's more of a case where out of Vito was in kind of a funk of his own, but seems to have uh, come out of that at just the right time, and he's picked up a couple of saves this week. Uh, when the Red Sox won a game on Wednesday night, it was probably the closest thing they have to a, a formula at this point, where they got six innings from the starter then two innings from Garrett Whitlock in the setup role and Adovino closing it out. And they're at the point where Whitlock and Adovino are really their only two reliable relievers. So in some combination, they're going to get all the high leverage work. Chris Olson's analysis, though, says uh, even though Whitlock is probably, or he says certainly, the team's most highly skilled reliever, uh, the manager, Alex Cora, wants to use him in those multiple innings setup kind of situations, high leverage, let's get through the you know one through six guys, even if it happens to fall in the seventh inning, and then we'll uh, let Ottavino go in there and mop up in the ninth, uh, you know, the bottom of the order type things. If Cora's playing leverage to that extent, does that really mitigate against Whitlock's possibilities of being a closer? And does it affect, other than saves, he's still a pretty good relief pitcher for ratios and maybe even picking up some vulture wins. Yeah, that's really the value proposition for Whitlock at this point. His, his ratios have been terrific. Uh, he, you know, his ERA is one fifty two with a whip just to tick over one. He's got more than a strikeout in inning. Uh, you know, he, he's been really sharp, and the Red Sox have been very careful to handle him. You know, what he has handled that multi inning role, but he's also largely stayed away from back to back days. The good news is with the Red Sox now winning as often, <laughs> Whitlock is getting called on in all uh, basically all the time when they have a lead, which is like every third day. So you know, it does kind of work out better in terms of the the vulture wins and that sort of thing. But you know, when they, he was missing a lot of opportunities when 
the Red Sox were winning regularly and they had to spread the work out for among guys. Um, but yeah, Whitlock is, I mean, he's got seven wins already and, you know, he's, you know, he, it's easy, easy to imagine he's going to get to 10 before this year is over just from that, uh, that, that middle inning multi-usage, multi-inning usage with what at least used to be when healthy, a good offense behind him that could, you know, break open tie games or, you know, come back and take leads while he was soaking up a couple of innings. That That's worked very well for Whitlock, but uh, as we said at the top, this is kind of no longer that Red Sox team. I can picture one of the front office quants going to Alex Cora and saying, Alex, we've solved your closer situation. And Alex Cora says, oh, how? Well, we figure you're only going to win one game in three, so you can just rely on Adovino and not worry about having to go out there two, two days in a row. Oh, oh, too bad for too bad for them. Great. Yeah. Meanwhile, though, uh, Hansel Robles, who was closing in Minnesota briefly for a while, got traded to Boston to shore up their bullpen. He got a save last week, then he blew a save right after. Does he have any role to play here? He's been a roller coaster, and I think that was pretty much as advertised. I think in the situations where the Red Sox do get leads in on consecutive days and Whitlock is not available for all of them. I, I think you're more likely to see Garrett Richards ahead of Robles uh, in the pecking order, but you know, they're probably the next two after out of, you know, and Whitlock Ro- Robles has been rocky his August with the Red Sox. Uh, you know, he's worked a lot. He, he threw 13 games in the month of August after getting acquired uh, 18 strikeouts in 12 innings is good. Nine walks at 12 innings is less good. And all that added up to, uh, you know, with the Red Sox, he's got a 7.30 ERA and a, and a whip over two. So let's say he's going to be trusted in high leverage, uh, you know, only as a last resort. And, of course, after Chris Sale returned, Martin Perez got shuffled off to the sort of swingman, longman kind of role. He's currently on that same COVID list, but is there any role for him, assuming he gets back from the COVID list anytime soon? I, I think he's a break glass in case of emergency or a, you know, multi-inning, uh, soak up some innings if, if there's a short start. He did pop up in uh, the week the weekend series last uh, weekend in Cleveland when the bullpen was taxed and, you know, some of these relievers were starting to drop. He actually popped up in a save situation in the 10th inning with a three-run lead and the runner on second, and he needed to be bailed out by out of, you know, from that. I Perez is not... Uh, yeah, I, I don't see him throwing a lot of meaningful innings if uh, if there are better options available. Meanwhile, uh, you mentioned that they had a guy that you've never heard of coming into their infield, Jack Lopez. And with Christian Arroyo, Enrique Hernandez out, this seems to be perhaps part of the solution. But what about Danny Santana, who got back recently from the IL as well? Yeah, he's uh, he's probably going to get into that mix. There's... Uh, you know, he he is of course versatile. He is not, I don't believe, played second base for the Red Sox yet this year, but he is capable of that. Uh, we've seen that in his you know somewhat distant past, and given the uh, the jam they're in right now with uh, you know so many of the middle infielders down between Bogarts and Arroyo and Munoz, like you said, and Kike Hernandez, they're uh, you know, they're grasping at straws. So Santana, I think, has a possibility of appearing at second. It wouldn't actually totally surprise me either if you saw Travis Shaw there on a you know, emergency basis either. So uh, it's going to be making it up as they go for the next few days, I think. Staying in the saves analysis section of the show, the Rangers activated right-hander Joe Barlow from the 10-day IL, and Rod Trusdell reported that he immediately shot back into the closer role, which Rod called, and I'm quoting here, an important development for save watchers. 
And I look at that Texas team and I think to myself, eh, maybe not all that important. <laughs> uh, talking about not that many opportunities to save games, Texas is just terrible. Yeah, they're rough, and you know, they're, whatever saves they're going to see in the next couple of, couple of weeks probably do go to Barlow. I was in preparation for this. I was doing the bake-off of Barlow versus Spencer Patton. Patton was sort of handling the stray save ops while Barlow was on the DL, and Patton got knocked around pretty hard. So I think it's more of a default to um, back to Barlow at this point. But, you know, it, it, for those who are chasing every save in September, that is certainly important information for those who are, you know, either in dynasty leagues or starting to think about gauging the winter, the winter saves market. I think none of the above is the right answer here or nothing to get excited about. Neither one is really displaying the skills that uh, you, you want to see in somebody you would anoint the closer. Uh, Barlow, you know, has had three saves before he went in the DL. And kind of like we were just talking about with Hansel Robles, you know, in Barlow's case, 20 strikeouts in 18 innings and a 196 ERA sound pretty good. But nine walks in those 18 innings is an unacceptable walk rate. And he's propping himself up with a 16% hit rate and 80% strand rate. So over time, we would expect those numbers to normalize. And then you just start getting into an expected ERA that's around four. And that gets pretty tenuous for somebody in the ninth inning. All of this is better than Patton, though. So if you must speculate for a few weeks, yes, I would say Barlow over Patton. I got a few saves out of Patton in my uh, Tout American League only, and uh, I think the time is right to drop him. What about this guy, Josh Sabors? He shows up on the Baseball HQ depth chart as having access to 20% of the saves, which, given the time left and the quality of the team, might be only one. But if one plays, is Josh Sabors worth even looking at? It's possible, you know, he's going to be getting an audition, as you say, and that's, you know, opportunity is a big piece of the puzzle, but, you know, he profiles kind of just like these other guys, you know, the strikeout rate is there and the strikeout rate is there for, you know, virtually every reliever in the majors these days, it seems that the, um, you know, he's more than a strikeout an inning, but that's kind of table stakes at this point, but he's another one with 26 walks at 48 innings. He's walking more than a guy every two innings and that's kind of disqualifying in this day and age. So the, t- the 10 strikeouts per nine is great, but when your walk rate is pushing five, uh, not so great. Staying in Texas, moving to the offensive side, uh, third baseman Andy Ibanez was having a, a pretty decent little season since he got called up. Six homers and 215 plate appearances, batting 260, which is pretty good for this day and age. And overall, not not too bad of a uh, of an ad if you're looking at guys like that and partway through the season. So around 20 RBIs, 20, 20 runs scored as well. He goes on the IL. He's got a hamstring strain. The move retroactive to late last week, but in the meantime, uh, Nick Solak has been recalled. Uh, what's going on in that Texas infield? Yeah, it was unfortunate timing for Ibanez. He had had a productive month of August. Uh, Solak, of course, you know, started the season with some fan- fanfare, and we thought he'd be the regular and that he would be productive. And he was just had a really rough go, hitting two thirty in the first half with you know nine home runs. But it, and get, getting banished to the minors as a result of that. But he's only been back for about the last 10 days or so now, but he's got a hit in every game since then. And he's also not striking out at, uh, striking out at all. He's rocking the you know, contact rate that's r- running up into the 90% range. For, it was 91% for August, which is truly elite. So if he's found his bat-to-ball skills in the minors again, then uh, we get pretty excited about that because that uh, – that contact rate in the first half was down around 73. So 
you know, we can't get too excited about 70 at bats yet. That'll take a little longer to stabilize, but jumping a jumping his contact rate from 73 that you know pushing 90 percent is uh, is big news. What about Yanni Hernandez? Uh, Rod Trusdell says we can look at him to get a lot of starts at third. Yeah, it's you know bring your kids to see our kids' time in Texas, right? <laughs> and that's uh, you know he's another one that fits into the picture there. You know he's only 23, so this is a uh, th- th- this is an audition for him for sure. And you know in 70 at bats again. You know he's stolen four bases already. So you know if you're scratching out every stolen base, then that's uh, that that's somewhat helpful. Uh, you know he's showing decent contact skills too. So if there's a plate approach here that might play with some stolen bases, but uh, you know he looks to uh, he looks to be bereft of power so far. So but just a uh, contact and occasional stolen base play. If you're in an on-base league, he looks a little more interesting, I think, over the last couple of years in the minors, 426, 394, 424 on base. He's a 350 this year in 80 plate appearances. And uh, pretty much everywhere he goes, he seems to draw more walks than he strikes out. That has flipped over a little bit in the major leagues thus far. But clearly this guy knows what he's doing as far as taking a look at as the pitches come in and deciding which ones he should lay off, which is not an unrecognizable skill. That's right, and not something you frequently see in a 23-year-old either. So if he can start with that as a uh, skill foundation, you know, there's time for, it, for for the other skills around him to to emerge. So you know, it's not hard to see why Texas is interested in taking a long look here. I imagine a lot of fantasy managers looked at the uh, news earlier this week that the White Sox had put right-hander Lance Lynn, a Cy Young candidate, on the 10-day IL. Some problems with his right knee, a little bit of inflammation there. They recalled Danny Mendick, so there's no pitcher replacement. Uh, Rick Green covers the White Sox for playing time today. First of all, what's the news on Lance Lynn? And second of all, who gets the maybe odd start that he's going to miss? Yeah, it may just be an odd start. And, you know, as we've talked about before, it's be mindful that the White Sox really of anybody in the American League have as secure a hold on a playoff spot as anybody at this point. So, you know, this might be as much about trying to knock this down and get it win ready for October as anything else. So, you know, they're calling it knee inflammation now. And, you know, they're saying he's start to start slash there's no timetable for his return. Uh, it'll depend how treatment goes and how he looks on the side when he comes back. But it stands to reason that they're not going to rush him. And it might be mid-September, I would think, before you see him for just a couple of tune-up starts. As far as what the White Sox are going to do, they've indicated that they're going to go to Ronaldo Lopez in the rotation. And why wouldn't you? Because Lopez has been thriving in a multi-inning relief role. Uh, he's looked really good uh, here uh, in the second half after uh, missing the entire first half. And it really seems like he's harnessing something here as well. He came in. It was. It's interesting because I think he's starting on Saturday in Lynn's spot, but he got a one-inning relief appearance just a a nine-pitch tune-up the other night, uh, which is really one of the only single-winning outings he's had this year. So I don't know if that was just a throw-day situation or LaRusso wanted to get him a little bit of work before his start. But we're going to see him in the rotation this weekend, it seems. And he's not fully stretched out yet, but he's thrown as many as 75 pitches at his start. So you know he should be able to go, you know, to, to at least take a run at that five-inning mark for the win. So give, given the skills he's showing... And the fact that he's somewhat stretched out, I mean, his 154 ERA is certainly out over his skis, but, uh, you know, the 338 expected ERA is still plenty good. You know, this, this play, this skill set plays. So Lopez is going to, you know, potentially, if he gets four starts here, could be a very impactful September edition. 
Interestingly, when I saw this news, I, I looked up his times through the order penalty, and he doesn't really pay one. He, I mean, he's got a little bit of an ERA bump in that third time through, but the Wobas are pretty consistent, 340, 330, 330-ish, first, second, third time through the order. So it's not like we have to worry that if they throw Ronaldo Lopez out there for an extended start and he's rolling along, that they're going to automatically say two times through and you're done. He could soldier on and maybe, uh, as you said, if he gets through the fifth inning, gosh knows the uh, team can score runs. So there's going to be some win potential there. Yeah, that's right. The only counter to that I have is, like I said, the White Sox you know, are very much thinking in October October at this point. And I would imagine that Lopez's role for October is going to be a one-time through the order, you know, three-inning type of multi-inning, middle-inning, fireman sort of thing. So if they want to keep him sort of in that role and in that mindset, they might keep him, you know, he might be a five and fly, five and fly guy at most here. Uh, but you're right. There's no reason in terms of times through the order penalty or in terms of what, how his health and how far he's stretched out that he can't build up to more than that here if they decide to go that way. In Detroit, the Tigers activated left-hander Matt Boyd. Boy, I remember at the start of the year, Ray, a lot of touts were in on Matt Boyd. This is the year. Detroit's a rising franchise. Everything's going to go right finally for Matt Boyd. And it really didn't. Uh, He had his uh, sort of moments during the season. But overall, it was pretty much another Matt Boyd year. Uh, Willie Peralta went on the IL, so I assume Matt Boyd's just going to take his role. But what do we think of Matt Boyd as a September asset? Yeah, I think a lot of the preseason hype about Boyd was that as a fly baller who gave up home runs in bunches, that people thought he might be a beneficiary of the dead and ball, right? And you know, the funny thing is, to some extent, he was. That you know, his home run per nine, which you know has long been flirting with, uh, you know, it was in a short 2020, it was 2.2 home runs per nine, and in the full 2019, it was 1.9. So you know, that's a that's a lot of innings of an average of you know two home runs per nine innings. He cut that back down to one 1.0, which is you know league average or even a little bit better than that. Um, which you know if you had told all the people who were excited about him in the preseason that that, that was the result, they all would have said, "Oh, that's great. That's what we thought was going to happen." And sure, his ERA also tracked nicely. It went back down to three and a half, which is the best we've seen from him in a long time before he got hurt. But the skills just weren't really there. You know, his, his expected ERA was four sixty nine. He was being, you know, his, his hit and strand rates were pretty normal, but, you know, his, um, his walk and strikeout rates were really not super exciting for the profile for this day and age. You know, he lost strikeouts. He was down to a 19% K for nine, which is really below average. And he was still walking 7% of his batters, which is, you know, about average, which leads to a, a K minus BB, a command ratio of, of 13%, which is substandard. So, you know the the ERA was beneficial, but he was he was getting a little bit of, a little bit of luck, and now we've got to see what happens with the uh, whether he can even sustain the so-called newfound skill of keeping the ball in the park. So, uh, in for September, I would say there's a bunch of risk here. I would too, and one of the things that jumped out at me when I was reviewing his record was that I think a lot of the preseason hype was based on a 30% strikeout rate in 2019. He was up around almost 12 strikeouts per nine. 
But if you look at the rest of his career, 20%, 18%, 22%, 22%, 19%, and then there's this 30%. And when you look at a pattern like that, you have to say, this looks a lot like an outlier to me. And that really what we're seeing in 2021 and what we saw in those other years is really who this guy is. And, and when you throw in the propensity to give up home runs, there's not a lot of wiggle room because usually you can put up with a guy who's going to give up more than his share of fly balls and, and therefore home runs if he's getting a lot of strikeouts at the same time, which is the usual thing. But if you have the combination of low strikeouts, high fly balls and home runs, not so good a thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think part of the excitement about coming out of 2019 about that uh, spike in the strikeout rate was it was also accompanied by a velocity uptick. And he's held most of the velocity. You know, he jumped from being just over 90 miles an hour in 18. And maybe the, maybe 18 was actually the low end there as I look further back. But, you know, he, he, he picked up a mile and a half of a velocity in 19 and the strikeout rate came along from, with that. So we thought, yeah, maybe that was a little more sustainable. He's, he's actually held the velocity pretty well, but the strikeout rate and the swing strike rate have gone back down. So, yeah, I... I Upon a further review of the wide lens of data here, I tend to agree with you that the um, the, the, the 19 outlier is really uh, you know, to, to, to be diminished and uh, de-emphasized in the skill set here. Another pitcher at the start of the season who everybody was looking at and indeed went with a pretty handsome ADP, I guess we'll say, is Kenta Maeda in Minnesota. He had a terrific year in the short season 2020. Then in 2021, it has been, maybe disaster is overstating the case a bit, but it certainly hasn't been good. And now he's on the DL, he's out for the year, and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. What are we to think of Kenta Maeda? Yeah, given the acquisition cost this spring, I would file this under disaster for sure. You know, his first half was terrible, an ERA of 5.56, a whip over 1.5. Then, oddly enough, you know, with small sample caveats abound, but then he suddenly snapped back into peak form for like five starts in July, a 2.15 ERA, a base performance value of 166. You know, his control, which had deserted him in the first half, snapped back to, you know, his, his peak levels. And suddenly he had the combination of the pinpoint control and the strikeout rate all working. And then it all went south again in August. Uh, so as, as quickly as he found the formula, he lost it again. And now he's going to be out for a while. We don't know exactly what uh, the, the, uh, the treatment for the elbow is going to be, whether it's Tommy John that would knock him out for all of next year, or if they try to do a rehab or a partial repair or any of those in, interim measures. But that's, uh, that's all TBD. Enriched plasma. They could send him over to Germany and get yep, those. One of those. Injections, some, one of those. It's all on the things. table from what I read. In the meantime, not that, again, uh, with Minnesota playing as it has this year, not a terrific source of wins and those kinds of things, but here's what uh, Baseball HQ's depth charts show for the rotation in Minnesota. Griffin Jacks, Bailey Ober, Charlie Barnes, Michael Pineda, and John Gant with maybe Randy Dobnak floating around the edges. Not exactly the 70 Orioles. No, and not at all. And Pineda is actually still on the on the IL and hoping to come back around the middle of September. Uh, Dobnak, I saw, just got activated the other day, so he probably plunges right into this rotation. It is not the seventy Orioles by any stretch of the imagination. Dobnak, seven eighty three ERA. He's another guy that the Touts loved uh, coming into the season. Yep. Big sleeper name, and uh, got taken in a lot of drafts to the chagrin of the people who took him. And finally, Ray, before we let you go. Uh, 
big notice about First Pitch Arizona. Today's the last day to get the big discount on the uh, on the registration price. That's right. We're uh, you know pushing to nail down our numbers. We don't close registration. We leave it open for late fence sitters. But today is sort of the last day to get the best price. Uh, it's still 20% off the full registration if you register today. Uh, we have good numbers. And I was talking to our hotel host hotel this week about things we can do in terms of distancing and putting more events outdoors and trying to get everybody comfortable with uh, you know holding an event in these COVID times and got a lot of positive input there and things that they have available to us. Um, as I think we talked about last week, PD, we've announced that our COVID protocol for the event is going to be all attendees need to be either vaccinated or present a COVID test negative from within the last couple of days before they travel. And we'll be you know, strongly encouraging masking at all the indoor events. And now we're overlaying hotel um, mitigation practices as well. So we really feel like we're able to pull this off and hope everyone who's sitting on the fence will uh, feel comfortable enough to join us and get out and do this in person. It's way more fun than doing it on Zoom. And were you able to confirm the presence of the fire pit? There is indeed a fire pit. I, that is confirmed. <laughs> All right. Well, now, now that we know that, there's no reason not to go and sign up because we'd like to see you out at the at the seminars, of course. We'd like to see you at the ball games, and we'd sure love to see you at the fire pit. So it's terrific news. Uh, thanks very much for helping us out this week, Ray, and we'll talk to you again in seven days' time. Sounds good. Thanks, PD. Ray Murphy is a co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com and covers the American League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Next up, it's part two of our feature expert interview with Todd Zola, coming to the plate for his second at-bat next on Baseball HQ Radio. I think probably the most colorful guy in ball four is the manager of the Seattle Pilots, Joe Schultz. Joe is sort of the opposite of Vince Lombardi. You know, Joe felt sorry for us. He told us not to feel bad. We just didn't have the talent. Uh, but he was great. He always he tried to keep the clubhouse loose. He was always saying funny things, you know. I remember uh, during a doubleheader against the uh, Baltimore Orioles, the eighth inning, we're losing 11 to nothing. You know, we know we're going to lose the second game. We just don't know what the score is going to be yet. Joe Schultz looks up and down the bench, and he says, Men, between games of this doubleheader, we have a choice of ham, roast beef, or tuna salad. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for part two of our feature expert interview with Todd Zola from Masters Ball, Rotowire, ESPN, SiriusXM, and a bunch of fantasy baseball podcasts. Todd, welcome back to part two. It was like I never left. Todd, you had an article this week in the Z Files looking at September from the games to play perspective. You've done this before, and it's really interesting. But maybe you could start by explaining why fantasy managers need to be paying attention to this and how they should use the information. Well, to me, it's it's a way to plan ahead, and we we talked in the first in the first uh, segment of our of our chat. We talked about fab, and and sometimes you don't have a whole lot left. You may only in a league without a zero dollar bid, you may have you may only have four units left, or three units left, which means you have three or four moves, and you need to be efficient with those moves. Sometimes they're out of desperation because you have a guy hurt, but if you need to be efficient, you can look ahead. And you can see what team may have a bunch of games a particular week or what pitching staff may face a week, a set of weak opposition or something to that effect. So you can be, you can better earmark the limited resources you have. It doesn't have to be fab. It could be a, you may have the number one waiver priority 
and you do I want to use it now? Oh wait, uh, as we'll talk about, Cleveland has nine games in a few weeks. Maybe I can. Maybe I should wait and use it on whatever Indians hitters available to make you know stuff like that. So knowing what's coming up can help be can help manage the, the what could be limited resources the rest of the season. Which teams' hitters, when you looked at it, did you decide have the weakest September schedules? You know, I I didn't I didn't break it down um, by numbers because things change. We're not exactly sure. I just didn't go down that road. But eyeballing it, I think um, if we're looking for teams that you want to target target hitters from. I think San Francisco is interesting in that they've got a, a, a majority of home games. I know they played a couple this week. It was 18 and 12 coming into the week. So they played a couple of home games already um, or another a series, but of their 12 road games, six are at courts. And I know the giants use platoons, so maybe you're not getting the playing time, but the quality of those games, especially the two series. And I, you know, did I really have two series of course? Yeah. They have two away series left. The you know even I don't like to use Lamont Wade because he doesn't play all the time. Well, it may be worth it for those weeks because of the the bump you get in course. And the other team, and I know they're going through stuff now, and you know they're they're my hometown team. But once the Red Sox get through uh, the next series or so, they happen to face a lot of lesser light teams. So if they can get through the the current rut and injuries and COVID-19, they could still go on a bit of a streak. They, uh, they do not face the toughest of opponents. A team I like from that point of view, I think might be Toronto as well. Uh, they're in a tough right now against Oakland and they've got the Yankees coming up. But after that, it seems like they've got a lot of games against Baltimore and Minnesota. And yep. you well, like, yeah. you like that, you know, I think there's, Seven or seven or eight games against Baltimore and six or seven against Minnesota. You know that's half of their remaining games, and uh, you really have to like their chances against, frankly, teams that just aren't that good. Although they've certainly had their hands full with Baltimore of late. Uh, when you flip it around, which teams' hitters do you think look like they'll be in tough? Might not be worth avoiding. Uh, so all right, see so which hitters have it tough. Arizona, to me, has it tough. Um, the Cardinals. It looks to me they uh, they have it a little bit tough as well. And again, we're not exactly sure what's going to happen down the stretch, but you know this is what we know now. So just you know be planned, be, be you know be be ready to swerve if if things do change. Head to head leagues with playoffs, etc. It's especially nice to know uh, what you're doing here because sometimes you have if you're one of those teams where I can go strike out and win heavy, or I could go ERA and save heavy. If you, if you know what opponents your pitchers are facing that week and, you know, you have one open spot to grab another pitcher, it can help decide which direction to go, especially we haven't mentioned it yet. But one of the other things about this is with teams down the stretch, if you can get a guy the week previous to when you really want him, I mentioned Cleveland has nine games one week. You don't get him that week. If you get him the week previous, there's less competition for him, and it the, the cost of acquisition is probably less. After you published the article, I went and looked at St. Louis as well, and 
it's a it's a mixed bag. It looks like uh, six games against the Cubs, three against the somewhat depleted Mets, games against Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati's actually okay, but uh, also some games against Milwaukee and Los Angeles, which is the flip side of that. Uh, you couldn't really pick two worse teams to have your hitters go up against. I think, especially Milwaukee this year. Cincinnati, well, I mean, with Gray and Castillo and Molly, they they've got some good pitching too. Agreed. So. Uh, yeah, St. Louis, uh, as you said, going to be in pretty tough, I think, uh, down the stretch here. I don't like the idea of having to go up against uh, all those Milwaukee starters over and over again. Oh. How about the on the pitching side, anybody uh, jump out at you as having a particularly advantageous or disadvantageous run to the end? Um, well, you mentioned Milwaukee. It looks like it looks like Milwaukee, not only are they good, but the, the competition is not all that great. And kind of the same with the White Sox. Now, the White Sox are interesting in that they're going to have the division in tow. There's, 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 there's no doubt about that. Ten games, a double-digit lead at this point. Whether they are in competition for the best record and how they want to go, what, what that means a whole lot. I don't know at this point. But, you know, so we don't need – are they going to start to rest player? Giolito's already missing a start, Giolito. So it's it, but still, it, it looked on, on the surface to me like they were going to have a, a rough time. Conversely, and this is not, you know, this isn't all that great news, I don't think, for Padres fans, especially with Hugh Darvish coming off of a rough game, although Blake Snell is coming off of a gem, they look like they've got some tough offenses coming up for the final month. The Brewers have some pretty soft touches. You're right. Uh, the Mets are struggling, of course, they're famously all year. Uh, they've mm. also got Cleveland and they've also got the Cubs who are, you know, they weren't that great and then they traded away all those guys. So that wasn't <laughs> good either. They're also, they have a couple of games left against Detroit. And I think very somewhat quietly, I guess we could say Detroit has turned into a pretty decent club. Yes. And as soon as everybody realized that they've kind of turned it around again into being not as good, just as everybody realized how good they've been, they've kind of gone into a bit of a tailspin. That's, that's baseball, right? You know that, but but yes, they are still better than we thought. Um, and I would, I mean, not really. It's kind of a little bit off topic, but um, well, no, I think well, yeah. I mean, maybe it may come up later, but I really like what Detroit's doing with their pitchers, in that they're not just going to shut down their three kids, in that they're giving them Scoob, Tarek Scoobal, Matt Manning, and um, uh, Mental Block, who's the third, Casey Mize. Casey Mize extra rest so that they're going to pitch through the end of the season. And they all seem to be responding pretty well in that they're not hitting, you know, the, the wall. If they did hit the wall, they're over it. I just, I just, I, I, I like teams with a plan and sometimes it's tough to figure out what the plan is, which usually means there isn't one, but I, I think Detroit is quietly has a plan and I will just see how they execute it. Kind of a mixed bag for Detroit pitchers. They've got Pittsburgh coming up and then uh, a few games against Kansas City and Minnesota. But sprinkled in there, you got Tampa, you got Milwaukee, and you got the Chicago White Sox for six. So it's one of those situations where you might want to take a look at some of those Detroit pitchers and then stream them very judiciously because you could sure. be throwing them into the lion's den. And they are, I mean, they're going to start once a week. So I'm not, I'm not, because I mean, this is more of a, just kind of an, uh, an, an anecdotal observation than a fantasy one in that, you know, I mean, if you got Scooble in your team or Manning in your team, you know, et cetera, but I'm not saying go pick them up because they, they, they won't, you know, they, at most they get, maybe they get 
whatever if there's four weeks left they get five starts something like that but they're not they're you know you, they're not going to have a lot of two starts they're not going every fifth day of the bunch i think scoobles maybe in the best shape he's got pittsburgh coming up oh. and, and then uh he's got a find his way through Tampa and, and maybe the White Sox, but then he's got Kansas City, Minnesota, if they stick with the, you know, every, every fifth game kind of setup. So right. the, the point I think of the entire conversation, Todd, is if you're in a situation where you need to find these little edges that you can try to use to move up in your standings, take a look at the next couple of weeks for all the guys that are in your free agent pitching pool and hitting pools and take a look at who they're going to be playing for the next little while and ask yourself, would I want my pitcher going up against this team? And something that I like to do, and I don't know if you do this as well, but I like to platoon it out to the extent that if I've got a left-handed pitcher, I like to look at how they, the opposing hitters do on mass. I I just use WOBA as my as my metric, and just say this team really crushes left-handed pitching. Even though they're not a, necessarily a good team, I'm not going to start them against my left-handed. I'm not going to start my left-handed pitcher against them because they seem to be able to hit them. The Washington Nationals are a perfect example. Even after the trades, the Nationals still lead the league in WOBA versus lefties, and since even since the break, it's still pretty high. And I'm trying to, I think it was Rich Hill maybe matched up against them uh, on, on Friday, on today. And I was, should I, is he a streamer? It's like, ooh, the Nationals, they handle lefties pretty well. I think it's Rich. It, I'm not, that might, that might not be correct. But anyway, it's, it's, it, it was a lefty. So yeah, the, and, and I'm not, you know, I, I talked earlier about some of the offseason projects. You know, I, I, I do the same thing and I talk about the same thing, but yet I'm doing it blindly in that I don't actually know how long of a period you need to look back for those numbers to be trustworthy. I'm just kind of, you know, it sounds good on paper that the such and such team is, you know, 28th out of 30 for the past month on in Wilbur versus righties. Therefore I'm streaming this guy. I don't know if that's enough time to be, to be, you know, predictive or not. So I, I do want to do the work. I you know, intuitively numbers against lefties are a lot more variable than against righties because you just don't face as many lefties. So I, I don't trust even now numbers against lefties as much as I trust against righties, but I've got the, I've got the data, you know, in several projects I'd like to look at, you know, early next year, I'd love to be talking to you about, well, you need X amount of time to use this data because here we both talked about it. It's different pitching and different hitting since the break. So can you look at season log numbers versus lefties when the Cubs lineup is different? Uh, Washington lineup is different. And, you know, fill in the blank. Minnesota's different without Cruz. How long a sample's needed to trust those, you know, to trust the team-wide performance? Reminds me of a conversation I had years ago uh, here on Baseball HQ Radio with Matt Beagle when he was covering the American League for us here uh, as the uh, Ray Murphy guy back in the day. And he had uh, an example of a player that he recommended based on a fairly short sample. And I said, you know, can we make that inference based on 75 plate appearances? And he says, you got nothing else, <laughs> you know? So, you know, it's better than just uh, assuming that everything is a coin flip. And I don't know if I believed him, but I think I understood his point. If you've got to make a decision, I'm going to start this pitcher or that pitcher versus that offense. And one of them's left-handed and one of them's right-handed and this team kills left-handers. I'm going to start the right-hander, even if the evidence might not be as, as ironclad as we might like. Uh, it, yeah, I understand it, but 
if it's not predictive, it's not predictive. I try to find something else that is, and it's, you know, it comes down to completely situational, you know, if 70, you know, 75 bats is all we got, but it's still, if it's, if it's, you know, if, if it's, if it's, if all we have is 75 units of food and it's crap, we're, we're just not going to eat it. I mean, I don't know. But what if you're hungry? Well, I'm going to continue to be hungry until something else is around that, that will sate me and, and not, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, silly example. <laughs> yeah, but, the, um, the analogy is getting very strained. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So you also noted in the article, Todd, that the minor leagues won't be having playoffs this year, at least at AAA. They're going to be some kind of hodgepodge of figuring out the best 30-game stretch plus the season long or something like that. I don't know, but there's no playoffs is the point. How does that affect the availability of potentially useful fantasy players for the stretch run? Yeah, this is interesting because one of the things I normally do at this point of this annual piece is say, well, teams on this 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 AAA team, this organization, don't expect this player to be called up because he's going to be in the playoffs and the team has announced that uh, they want their prospect to get some, even if it's only AAA, some uh, playoff experience. Well, there isn't that isn't excuse me that isn't around this year. Not only only two spots, but you know now it's a matter of keeping the players down through the end of the season so that they can capture the best record or the second best record, wherever it might be. And as you mentioned, and I don't get this. To me, this is to me this is an idea that I would have. But then other people would tell me it's silly, and it's just to like end the season, then have ten more games and crown a champion over those ten games. What the, what's that? What's that? That's an idea that I would have. That 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 Ron Chandler then call me up and say, "Dude, what are you thinking?" So, um, but anyway, that's what the minor leagues are doing. Well, Triple A. Is there any way to figure out uh, a player who you think might have an impact over the last? quarter mile of this uh of this mile and a quarter horse race the last two furlongs what should we be looking for especially on our free agent pool lists to say this is a guy that i'm i'm gonna throw a five dollar win bet on i think opportunity is number one and although we say that but i don't you know listening to some of the pods and missing some i know that there was some talk about a guy like um isaac paredes you know all right he's up he's gonna play and He's now been sent back down again. I mean, Edward Olivares is the same way. So even opportunity, you think there's opportunity, and it, it, it may not be. The team may have another idea. And, you know, you, you look, you know, is it, is it just too obvious that this team should be using this player? And it doesn't always work out. You know, is it a, uh, you know, a Yoshi Tsutsugo from Pittsburgh? I think that it would be wise for the, for the Pirates to take a look at this guy over the last month, he had some, you know, he had some pedigree coming over from, from the Japan leagues and it's already tough enough to assimilate during, you know, in that scenario to do it during a pandemic year. Wow. I mean, so I'm willing to give a guy like Tsutsugo, uh, you know, two mulligans, not just one, two. And I think that, you know, I think pirates are wise to play him over, play him out over the last month. Whether they continue to play him, if he gets in a bit of a slump and takes him out, then you know the, they look at somebody else. But the, the opportunity, the first thing is opportunity. Um, teams, teams like the White Sox that might might start benching players. Although now it's you know, do you bench the guy? 
and, and I think he was in Houston a couple years ago, decided to rest some players and maybe they weren't at their peak heading into the playoffs and that, that whole conundrum. So you want, you want to avoid teams where players may lose playing time. A good thing this year, I think anyway, with only two roster spots, it used to be that if you were in a platoon, you were out because someone was someone on the bench, the opposite side bat that you were going to, that was going to come in for if you don't have the resources this year. So it's a little safer to continue to use platoon players, especially if they've been shown to stay in the game when an opposite side reliever is brought in. And finally, for this segment, Todd, uh, we've talked about the tout table before. This is a feature that you organize on a weekly basis. All the touts in the uh, Tout Wars leagues are asked uh, one question, and then they all fill out the tout table, and then you take their responses and put them into an article at toutwars.com. It's a really good idea. It gets a lot of interesting points of view on a lot of questions that a lot of uh fantasy players are looking at and, and mulling over. And this week you looked at how do touts decide which hitters to have active late in the season and whether the decision process is different than it was earlier in the season. What did the touts have to say by way of consensus? Um, to be, to be, I mean, I'll be a hundred percent honest here. Um, I was a little, and they've been crushing it all season long with their answers. And maybe I'm the one that's wrong on this, but the, the, majority or a lot of the people said it's no different now than it's been throughout the course of the season. There's really no reason now to, to alter one's thought process um, over the course of the season. And I, I don't know. I think that, I think that there are, we, we've talked about a few of the, a few of the things that, that you can do to take advantage um of the of the of the you know knowing what's what's ahead, especially um, you know we we talked about platoons. I think that you know I mentioned that I'm less worried about using a platoon guy because he can come out. Um, talking about looking at, 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 I think the one one of the things that I do is if I'm playing a player strictly based on the matchup and he's a lesser player than the guy that I'm putting him in over. I take a good look at the impending schedule because, you know, what needs to change for that matchup to no longer be all that great is, is a pitcher. Can a pitcher come back off the injured list and replace a lesser pitcher and make the matchup? Not so good. Is it in a potentially bad weather spot that the game extra game gets rained out. So that is one thing I will, I will, I will be more cognizant of is if I'm, if I decide to play a, if all things being equal, I'm playing a lesser player when things aren't equal because of a, a particular matchup, I make for darn sure that that matchup advantage is going to take hold. Otherwise I just, I mean, let me be, take the safer pick. Sure, maybe I lose out a little bit, but I, I didn't I didn't get crushed. So I, I that that is what one thing I want to one thing I do. The other thing that kind of caught me a little off guard, and we mentioned it, we talked about it previously on the tout table. It came up in an answer. People say they it, go with the hot guy. It's at the end of the season. Go with the hot guy, and you kind of mentioned the seventy five, uh, you know, the seventy five at bats. To me, it's it's 
streaks are unpredictive. And it, just because we're down to a month does not mean it's better, you know, more prudent to go with a hot guy. He, he's he's just as bad of a chance of not being hot than, than in May. So I think to focus and go with the hot player, I think it's a fallacy in this time of season. To me, it's still matchups. It's still number of games. It's still quality to line up around you to increase run production. Uh, an example, I, oh, I had one off the tip of my tongue. Um, Elimis Diaz was crushing it. So people pick him up and he's now 0 for 16. That's just, you know, that's an example. There's other examples of players that continue to hit. So, you know, you disagree with me if you happen to choose Frank Schwindel, who's still hitting. You're, you're going, you're right, Zola, if you ended up picking – uh, you know, pick the end up picking Diaz, and I know Bregman's back, but even so, Diaz is still playing. I remember talking a couple of seasons ago with Chris Liss from RotoWire here on Baseball HQ Radio, and we were discussing the idea of whether streaks are real, whether there is such a thing as a hot streak or a cold streak. And what he said was, and I think he's exactly right, yes, they are entirely real, and no, they are not at all predictive. You yes, can never exactly. tell when they're going to start or end, and a, and a hot streak does not presage a following cold streak or anything else. They just happen, and you only know that they happened looking backwards. You can never assume that something's going to happen because of them when you're looking forward. And I too, I was with you on the hot streak. I saw a couple of guys on the on the tout table who said, you know, look for the guy who's got the swinging the hot stick, as uh, as we say, or as we try not to say. I hope. Right. <laughs> and uh, I just don't, I just don't buy into it. But my approach is have a general rule for assessing players and stick with it unless when you look sit down on Sunday and you look at the opposing pitchers and you look at the number of games in the week, look at injury situations and roster situations, if there's a reason not to follow your general pattern of choosing players, then by all means go ahead and don't use the general method. But if there's not a reason to abandon your general method, just stick with your general method and and ride with it. Because if you're good at picking players, then you're good at picking players. And you don't want to s- sort of sabotage yourself by saying, right. ordinarily, nine times out of 10, I would take player A, but you know, player B, I like the cut of his jib, or, you know, they've got seven games and the guy's replacing has four or eight games versus five or whatever it is because of double headers or whatever. I think those are legitimate reasons to overrule your own sentiment. But at the same time, I don't think you should be looking for reasons to overrule your own sentiment. I think you should assess the actual information that's in front of you and then make a reasoned decision based on the information that you've called out. Right. And, uh, you know, there's always a yeah, but, you know, so my yeah, but for this whole streak thing is for the longest time, if a player for me, at least as a a kind of a, a metric, if the player is not striking out during a hot streak, I don't care about the walks because if he's hitting the ball, he's not walking because he's hitting the ball before he has a chance. So I'm more concerned about the strikeout. If he's not striking out during a hot streak, I lean I lean towards it being real more than, than otherwise. And now that we have the data, if a player is hitting the ball hard during said hot streak, to me it's also got a bit better of a chance for it to continue now, it, it's it still gets all folded in, and I just I just you know rationalizing you know a way a reason to keep a hot guy in the lineup. I might be, especially if well uh, it, 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 
you know, I don't know, when I'm doing ESPN notes and I have to come up with a reason why to play a certain player that day, well, I point towards what he's done over the past week. It's always got a good matchup too, but to me, it's also a note. A note doesn't have to be, you know, analysis. It's a note. He's, he's hitting you know, 700 of the past week. It's a note. It doesn't have to be a reason to use it. So, um, but I am looking more on uh, short term, how hard he's hitting the ball. And what I have noticed, and at least in the work that I've done, is a player hitting the ball hard is usually a harbinger of a pretty good streak coming. So I, I will use that in my in, in, in my work. If um, if you hit the ball hard the past week, hasn't gotten the results. Uh, there's no there's nothing that says he's going to continue to hit the ball hard. That's why it's, that's why he could be hot. But a lot of these hot streaks are, you know, a a a four for twelve and a two for twelve. It could just be two bleeders. So if, if on the other hand, if those four for twelve are on four balls over 100 miles an hour, eh, I tend to trust that a little bit more. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola for Masters Ball, Rotowire, ESPN, SiriusXM, lots of other podcasts. And Todd, I like to wrap up these discussions by looking at uh, slumps, pumps, dumps, and jumps. Let's start with uh, a slump. This is a player who's struggling, but you think is worth hanging on to. I'm probably wrong, and it's it's Cody Bellinger, and it's I'm probably wrong about it because I just other than the fact that he's Cody Bellinger. I think he could also be the answer. He's probably everybody's answer to underachieve the worth, you know, that we're talking about later. I just, um, I just can't believe that he's this bad. And I'm, I guess maybe I'm hoping with LA now in first place and, you know, playoffs are coming up that the juices get flowing and that he starts to turn it on again. I get no thing to point at numbers wise. How about a pump, a player overachieving and worth selling high? You know, I'm going to go Jorge Soler, and I don't love it. I had a hard time finding anybody, but they're just I think there could be a playing time crunch coming up in Atlanta now that now that Eddie Rosario is back. I believe I believe they have a Coors uh, series coming up, and all it's going to take is one of their guys to pump a couple out of Coors and one guy to get cold, and if Soler has an offer, and he starts to lose playing time. And so that's my concern now that Rosario's back and Soler's a right-handed hitter and not all that great a defender, he could start to lose playing time. How about a dump? This is an underachiever who's worth replacing. Maybe this is where you meant to put Cody Bellinger. Well, I actually, I mean, I could have, he could have gone here, but I'm actually going to go, I don't know if this is, you know, bending the rules a little bit. But if you're holding on to Xander Bogarts at this point, I think it's fair to find a replacement. Not only is he, I think anyway, battling a sore wrist for most of the second half, he's now under under COVID, whether he plays every day going forward. So I think that if, if, if there's someone out there that you can replace, replace Bogarts with that can give you some consistent, you know, bankable production, I don't. I mean, I would not chastise. Well, I'm not I'd chastise anybody for anything, anyway. But I wouldn't chastise anybody. I wouldn't behind your back say, "Can you believe this guy keeps Xander Bogarts on his reserve?" I think you can drop him. Funny thing is, I made a trade right before the uh, the tout deadline, and uh, I asked for Xander Bogarts and uh, ended up taking uh, Scope uh, from Detroit. And I think ah. on balance, I'm 
pretty glad that I ended up with Jonathan Scope rather than Bogarts. That was just before the COVID news, uh, which was kind of the, the final uh, nail there. Uh, how about a jump hitter? This is a target in your league if he's available. I think I alluded to him earlier, and one reason is that the Indians have a nine-game schedule coming up. And uh, granted, no one's going to play all nine games, two doubleheaders, et cetera. But Bradley Zimmer is finally, uh, finally showing a little something. I mentioned the steals, flashing some power. If, uh, I, you know, he's, he's a batting average sink, and you can still lose or gain in batting average. But I think he's going to be uh, – there's enough – there are enough ample – opportunities to use Zimmer, especially if you need speed for the next, uh, you know, to finish to close out the season. 12 stolen bases in just 261 plate appearances this year. Bradley Zimmer could be a, a speed source down this last 30 games or so. And finally, how about a jump pitcher, a target you'd grab if you could? Yeah, Bailey Ober. In uh, I know there's an airplane spoof we could do here, over under, but I, uh, I, He's what you, you can't sort by season. He has had a solid second half, Bailey Ober, and he's he's mixing in some strikeouts. I, I like like what you know they're Kansas City, like we talk about Detroit. They've got some good young pitching. Daniel Lynch is showing a little more than he's shown early in his first time around. Um, I would basically I would categorically dismiss Bailey Ober if it's DFS or from streaming. I, I look to stack against them. But I did a little, you know, closer. Someone said to me, "Why, you know, you should have, you should have had Bailey Ober as a guy to stream." And I, I took a little, geez, you know, you're right. And I sent my editor said, "I want to add Bailey Ober." So uh, Ober's someone to take a look at. Todd Zola's slump, Cody Bellinger, his pump, Jorge Soler, his dump, Xander Bogarts of Boston, uh, jump hitter, Bradley Zimmer of Cleveland, and jump pitcher Bailey Ober of Minnesota. Todd, where can listeners keep up with Todd Zola? Well, you can keep up with me um, on on Twitter at Todd Zola, number one, and XM Sirius XM MLB Network Radio, not the Fantasy Channel, but the the network. Um, I'm on with Clay Link every Saturday, usually either one, four, or seven, depending upon games they're broadcasting that day. Um, read my work at RotoWire. Read my work at ESPN. And if you want to ask me a question. Post it on the Masters Ball forum. Be happy to answer it. All right, Todd, thanks a million. This has been uh, as entertaining and as interesting as it always is. I look forward to it, and I'm thinking of setting up an end-of-season roundtable. Maybe you and Ray and I can uh, get together and talk about the season and look ahead to 2022, try to figure out who the first-round uh, hitters are going to be. It's going to be a challenge. Oy vey. Yeah, no, it's it, well, hitters. There's already talking about, you know, there's a poll out today who – who the first pitcher? Uh, who the, do you like Garrett Cole or J- Jacob Degrom? And it's last I looked, it was at like fifty-one percent Degrom. And I think uh, Ryan Bloomfield, the two thousand twenty-one Wars Daily Champion, Ryan Bloomfield, uh, disagreed, and I do too. I think it's Cole. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot to talk about as far as that goes. Well, we'll talk to you then. And in the meantime, stay safe. And uh, I guess we'll see you in first pitch Arizona as well. That's. Uh, that's still currently the plan, my friend. Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, Rotor Wire, and ESPN, broadcasts at SiriusXM, and appears on Fantasy Baseball Podcasts. A quick break here, and we're back with our HQ commentaries. The frequent flyer and extra innings are coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. But first, let me remind you about First Pitch Arizona. 
You've heard me do this promo probably more than enough times, so I'll just cut to the chase and I'll tell you this. You can go to BaseballHQ.com and over on the right-hand side of the homepage, there's a big orange logo. If you click on that, you'll get all the info about what's going on at the seminars, ball games, all that kind of stuff. I just want to let you know about what the experience is like from the point of view of a guy who's been there plenty of times. It's just the most fun you can have in fantasy baseball. You're going to be hanging around with all kinds of people who are just like you. They're going to want to talk about fantasy baseball. We think about fantasy baseball all the time. We enjoy getting together and discussing how our teams went this year, and that's not the kind of thing you can normally talk about in social gatherings or family meals. And all of that discussion takes place in baseball environments. We have big seminars where we talk about baseball. We have little breakout rooms where we talk about baseball. We go to the ballpark, of course, and we talk about baseball there. Dinners, lunches, and of course, the fire pit. Ray Murphy has confirmed that there is a fire pit at our hotel, and you can bet a lot of us will be gathering around there late at night, enjoying a couple of drinks and going over the day's action, talking about baseball. What more could you want? Listen, if I haven't persuaded you by now, I'm never going to. So persuade yourself. Go to BaseballHQ.com, click on the big orange logo, take a look at it. If you decide at the last minute this is the year you're going to go, do it now because you can still get that big registration discount until the end of today. Previous attendees call First Pitch Arizona the best weekend of the year. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to argue with that, and neither should you. First Pitch Arizona, we'll see you there. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt here. Time now for our regular commentaries. My extra innings comment is coming up. And leading off, it's the Frequent Flyer, a commentary on players who might be available in your free agent pool and who have the potential to get enough playing time and production to make them worth thinking about for a spot on your roster. And here with a look at Seattle right-handed starter Matt Brash is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. With a 208 ERA through 17 minor league starts in 2021, he's already making a brash statement at AA. Perfect through six innings is September 2nd start against Wichita, 23-year-old Seattle Mariners right-handed starter. Matt Brash has already posted an impressive 208 ERA in 2021 through two levels of the minors, including slinging a 164 ERA at AA Arkansas in eight appearances since his promotion on July 14th. By the way, Brash's six perfect innings with 11 strikeouts on September 2nd were part of Arkansas's combined no-hitter against Wichita at Dickey Stevens Park in Little Rock. Perhaps even more impressive is Brash's 131 strikeouts and 18 appearances in 2021. Selected by the San Diego Padres in the fourth round of the 2019 draft, Brash gained notoriety as the player to be named later in the August 31st, 2020 deal that sent reliever Taylor Williams to the Padres. Even so, Brash has only made 23 professional minor league appearances thus far, a very, very small sample size indeed. That's why 23-year-old Seattle Mariners right-handed starter Matt Brash, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. But be sure to stash him in Dynasty Leagues. So let's recap. 
Matt Brash in his first full professional minor league season is already at double A in only 23 total minor league appearances. And in his 23rd game, only as they start at double A, Brash was pulled after pitching six perfect innings, striking out 11, as part of a combined no-hitter. And despite only starting eight games, 44 innings pitched at AA Arkansas, Brash currently ranks in the AA Central's top 25 starters, number 23 overall, for strikeouts. Wow! Pay attention, Dynasty managers! Additionally, of the AA Central's top 25 starters by strikeouts, Brash's 164 ERA is top of the class. His .86 whip also ranks second among the top 25 starters by strikeouts. Again, in only eight games where most of the top 25 have notched twice as many starts as Brash. Again, wow! A closer look shows that Brash's command ratio of 4.3 strikeouts to walks at AA far exceeds our three strikeouts to walks benchmark for baseball's best pitchers, according to the tools and analysis available to you at BaseballHQ.com. And with a dominance rate of 14 strikeouts per nine, perhaps 23-year-old Seattle Mariners right-handed starter, Matt Brash, is a worthwhile investment indeed. It's our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky at BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has his frequent flyer comment here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for Extra Innings, my comment on baseball and fantasy baseball, and this week, I'd like to talk about finally wrapping up that long-awaited Edward Olivares theme song. Edward Olivares was recalled and sent back down so many times, and we reported on him so many times, as I mentioned earlier when I was talking with Ray, that we decided that we needed to have a special segment with musical intro and all that kind of stuff, and we never really ever got around to it. So one of our listeners mentioned that fact on a Twitter feed or somewhere that I saw recently, and I decided, you know what? It was a promise I made, so I'm actually going to live up to it. I didn't end up doing any kind of musical bed for the segment, but what I did was I wrote a rap song. (laughs) And here it is, Grandmaster P. Daddy with uh, Edward Olivares' rap. Don't know what to say about this Edward Olivares. Up and down more often than your mama's underwear is. Don't know if he big league or he just a rank imposter. Can't even say if I should think to add him to my roster. The team don't act like we could even think of them as loyal. Like it's something special to be a Kansas City Royal. He must have done some shit that caused him somehow to offend. He got an OPS that's 50 points ahead of Ben and he. He got five taters, knocked him out just 70 PA. Pro rates out to 40 plus, and that'll play all day. But way too many grounders, and you know what that shit mean. Average just 230, and his BABIP 213. He got that zone command we can say ain't really great. He swing at any pitch come within 10 inches of the plate. And if he put it in the air as sure as you were born. A few get to the seats alright but mostly cans of corn. So wrap it up and sticking to the underlying theme. 
It's seen this scheme you dream will get you wake up with a scream. You'll think you'll deem him streamin', but that's really too extreme. This crop ain't got no cream, and he got no place on your team. Look out, Eminem. The music track for that was provided by Fezlian Studios uh, at SoundCloud. They provide free rap backgrounds for video and stuff like that, and I'm grateful to them for providing that. So for Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Grandmaster P. Daddy, and I'll have my extra innings commentary and very little rap music in the future you'll be glad to hear here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, September the 3rd. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 42 of the 2021 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest expert for this Friday full edition, Todd Zola from Masters Ball, Rotowire, ESPN, Sirius XM. Boy, Todd's just a terrific guest. He's been on this show a million times. I just love talking to him. And by the way, he'll be at First Pitch Arizona. He loves talking to anybody. So walk right up, introduce yourself, and talk about some baseball with Todd Zola. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Ray Murphy. And our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt, your extra innings commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on those BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also follow my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to wherever you catch your pods. Leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating to help us find new listeners and keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in seven days with another Friday full edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. See you next Friday. And for now, so long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.